Hello, I am Sam Vasquez, and this is Fall Risk. Hello, listeners. We are back with another episode of Fall Risk. I am Sam Vasquez, your host. Today, we got a couple of awesome jumpers on the podcast. First off, we got the one and only Adam Yelly. Say hi, Adam. What's up? What's up? Yeah. And then we got the very cool Jeremy Williams. Say hello. <laughs> hello. So how are you guys doing today? You guys all right? Doing great. Oh, yeah. It's Friday. <laughs> Friday, right? Awesome. Um, all right. So first off, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I explained this idea of a project like you guys to uh, a while ago. Um, but before we get started, I just want to say um, just for everyone listening, I wanted to touch on what the goal of this whole project is. Um I personally feel like I'm at a point in my skydiving career where, you know, I know a lot. I've spent a lot of time on drop zones, but I'm also starting to feel a little bit disconnected from the other people around me. And my hope is that with each one of these episodes that I and everyone else who is listening can learn a little bit more about these jumpers, you know, more about you guys, what makes you guys tick, um, where you guys get your motivation from, what you guys want out of the sport. You know, if we learn a little bit about skydiving along the way um, and we can educate ourselves from everyone uh, else's shared experiences, then then awesome. Right. You know, it's just an extra bonus. Um, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about skydiving, but we're also going to focus on the individual people as well. And that's why you guys are on here. You know, we're going to learn a little bit more about the small details and information we don't always remember to think about. Sound good? Sounds great. Awesome. Yeah, let's do it. Fantastic. All right. So let's start with Adam. OK, Yo. Uh, tell me about yourself. Like, tell me about, uh, you know, what you guys do outside of skydiving, how long you've been jumping for, you know, like two-minute elevator speech. Yeah, so outside of skydiving, uh, keep myself pretty busy with hobbies, but my primary job is I'm an IT manager for 3M. Uh, I work on a RHR platform managing the integration space. Uh, and then like to do a lot of lifting and, and outside stuff, climbing, mountain biking, et cetera. Okay. Cool. Um, how many or how long have you been jumping for? Let's see. I started in eight and uh, moved pretty quick into the instructor ranks in 2000 or uh, after I started skydiving. I uh, took a four or five year break a handful of years ago. So two years ago, I just came back to the sport after taking a four year hiatus from the, uh, from jumping. I've just just shy of 3000 skydives at this point. Um, but yeah, I started in 2008. I did I went straight through AFF. The intent was to do AFF, never do any tandems. I sat on the ground for weekend after weekend after weekend, after weekend watching everyone else skydive because of winds and wind restrictions. And I finally caved down and, and did a Cat A tandem and then came down from my Cat A tandem, got paged up to manifest. I thought maybe my credit card got declined or some shit. <laughs> uh, and they said, hey, you want to jump again because the winds are acceptable for AFF students now? And I said, hell yeah. So I got to do... My first two skydives in the same day, which was awesome. Awesome. Uh, cat A tandem and then a Cat B AFF jump. Cool. That's super cool. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so what's your current wing? Like, what are you, what are you rocking yeah. right now? Yeah, I fly a VK, uh, a hybrid VK90. Uh, my loading's about 2.4. In the process of downsizing, probably going to take a two canopy jump. Don't anyone judge me. <laughs> no judgment. We're good. Gonna skip the 84 and go to a 79 likely, which will put me at a really good spot um, when it comes to both, you know, canopy piloting, but also really getting into flocking at this point. Okay. Uh, so a 79 is a real good wing. 
um, when it comes to flying relative to the other high performance canopies when we do the flocking stuff. Uh, a lot of range in there. So if I don't do that, I'm, I'll, I'll do the step through on the 84 for sure. But cool. going to go with the hybrid as well. Awesome. That's fantastic. That's super good to hear. Yeah. Um, do you have any instructor ratings? Used to. Uh, I was uh, tandem and AFF. Um, I Currently, I have a tandem rating with the USPA, but I'm not, wasn't able to renew through Vector. Uh, kind of a long story. Uh, so I'm tandem rated with the USPA, but I don't have my, my manufacturer's rating, which keeps me personally from doing tandems. I think I could technically do tandems at this point with just the USPA rating, but, uh, you know, kind of blessing in disguise. When I took the break from the sport, it was, I was exceptionally burnt out. I was just doing instructor jumps with a handful of hop and pops here and there, mm -hmm. uh, doing, you know, 15, 15 skydives every, every weekend day, hucking drogues and taking students. And I lost a lot of the passion for the sport. So, uh, the last two years, it's been super fucking cool just to come back and skydive with my friends, you know, free fly, fly my wing, not have to worry about flying tandems. So probably a blessing in disguise that paperwork had its issues this year. Mm -hmm. um, so yes and no, I don't, I have ratings or I've had ratings. I will likely get my AFF back next year, uh, AFFI back, because I think it's super fun to teach people how to skydive, but I don't know if I really have any interest in hauling meat anymore okay that's right for so. for anybody that doesn't know hauling meat is like code for tandems it's also referred to as uh hauling gristle or uh, yeah. or slinging slinging drogues and that kind of stuff awesome yeah. all right fantastic um we're gonna shift over to mr jeremy really quick jeremy give me give me your two minute elevator speech i want to hear about when you started what year you started how many jumps you got what's your current wing like the works sure i started at uh in 2016, uh, late in 2016. So I was one of those uh, AFF students that uh, decided to start at the end of the season that we're all uh, wondering why they do that. <laughs> but <laughs> so, so and, and I did not get to jump my first day uh, because of weather. And uh, I didn't, uh, I don't even know that I got to jump my second day because of winds. <laughs> but uh, so I did a lot of waiting around, but um I think maybe I got a couple, maybe maybe twenty jumps in in that year. Um, I'm currently around around eight hundred jumps somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. um, I started basically. Um, well, I was kind of wanted to do it. My dad was a special forces Green Bray, and he did it. Um, and I, I think I vaguely remember him jumping rounds when I was really small, um, and I'm sure that stuck in my head for some reason. Uh, I've always wanted to uh, skydive, but you know, life happens and had kids and really didn't have the means. We couldn't really go out and blow a couple hundred bucks and pop and and uh, uh, and or couldn't line up a couple friends to come with, you know, to help build up the confidence. Um, so, uh, boy, my youngest daughter uh, was going off to college and she was doing a tandem at uh, Skydive Twin Cities. Um, so I went off to watch and the next day I signed up for AFF. Awesome. Um, yeah. And, uh, I probably, if I were to do it again, I would have probably done a tandem first, but, um, you know, no looking back now. <laughs> for why? What's that? Oh, I for think why? because, 
I think because of the shock, you know what I mean? So um, I'm a kind of a goal driven person and I didn't understand that we were getting, we we're going to have goals in this class and we're going to, you know, pass to the next level. And I'm like, well, fuck, I get it. There's a next level. Okay. Well, I got to do that. So now I got to pass this level. And, you know, when you're hanging outside of a plane for the first time at 13,000 feet, uh, um, it's hard to think about what you're going to do next. And I just, you know, it was, uh, it seemed my first, it seemed really loud, um, you know, in free fall. And it also seemed like I couldn't breathe very well. Uh, and, you know, obviously we know now that that's just uh, uh, not true. Uh, it's loud, but you can breathe fine. A lot of it's in your um, head. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Uh, and I and I I did get a video and I watched a video like once and I I I, I don't even I would recommend buying videos. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> They're horrifying. Um, but anyhow, that's uh, I think I would have been more prepared to answer your question. I, might, I think I've been more prepared uh, to do what they were asking me to do. Although everything went fine, I would it would have just been less less stressful. Yeah. You did you pass all your jumps the first try, Jam? Yeah. Yeah, me too. That's awesome. I did not. <laughs> I had to. That's surprising. Yeah, I know, right? Like I had to do cat C twice. Um, one of the instructors uh, forgot I was supposed to be doing a turn at the top. That was back when they used to do. Um, if you like, kind of, sort of, passed your cat B, they would do like a turn at the top, you know, and like see if you could, um, if you could do it better on the next jump. Um, it was basically just like a, a way to like kind of make you feel good, you know, like, um, okay, well, we're going to pass you on to cat C, but you know, if you don't do this right, we're not going to pass you anyway. Right. And so one of the instructors forgot that I was doing that cat B or not that cat B, the, the turn at the top of the skydive and just let me go anyway on, on the cat C. And so he let go and I just, oop, excuse me. I just hit my microphone. <laughs> I'm flailing my arms really quick. Um, so he let go and I just cranked into this turn as hard as I could. And he was like, oh, my God. Oh, no. Like redocked didn't let me go for the rest of the jump. And I had to do cat C again after that. So, yeah, I did. I did fail my hop and pops multiple times. Those fucking hop and pops are scary when you're getting out at 5000 feet or lower. Yep, I 3500. Yeah, yeah, 3500 to mine fucking like there's people that do static line and that's where they start the process at, you know, and like. No big deal, but I remember looking out the plane door on my hop and pop going, you guys are higher than a kite making me get out this long. I'm fucked. <laughs> I, I failed my very first cat uh, or my very first uh, 5,500 um, hop and pop. Um, I remember Bergy and uh, Roger Nelson saying, like, you have 15 seconds to pull your parachute when you get out of the plane. I was like, okay, cool. And I counted to 15. I was like, one, two, three oh, more. And, like, so it was perfectly timed, like, 15 seconds exactly at 3.5. I was like, sweet. They were they were so on the ball and, like, pulled. They're like, we thought you were never going to pull. I was like, well, you told me I had 15 seconds. I did what you told me to do. Like, so students will take everything completely literally. Whatever you tell them to do, like, they will absolutely do it to a T. Like, Unless, no unless you tell them not to deploy on their back, and then they'll do that for sure. Because <laughs> I did. there's a lot of entry that says whack whack. I dumped on my back. The lines went over my shoulder. Blah blah blah. That's what I, my thought. Five thousand. I was upside down, and I deployed, and that shit went straight over my right shoulder. I remember it clear as day. I saw the debit, the deployment bag, and the lines, and I'm like, well, that is probably not ideal. That's that's <laughs> awesome. Um, hey yeah. Jeremy, what are you flying as a wing right now? 
Uh, Crossfire 109. Okay. And I heard recently, I think you told me a little while ago that you were potentially downsizing or changing. Uh, actually, this is my downsize. Oh, this is your downsize. Uh, but I'm probably going to order another one just because the lead times are uh, so long. Okay. Um, Get cross braced. What's that? Go cross yeah. braced. Yeah, I'll probably. Uh, um, my plan is to go JFX uh, 2. And um, uh, size wise, I not like a 94. Okay. That's a great wing. That was my that was one of my wings at one point. Like fantastic, like super awesome. What what are you loaded at on your one oh nine, Jim? I'm uh just about two, just a little under two. Cool. Yeah. Uh and it's spicy. I and I you know, I'm not swooping, uh, at least at this point. And I don't know, at my age, almost pushing fifty, I don't know that I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, um I, or who knows, I might I might start next year. I never i never can make up my mind but i really liked the responsiveness um and of course when i got the new wing it was like super spicy um so i was really happy and i was walking by dave down and he says uh how do you like it i'm like oh fucking love it man it's spicy though it's a lot spicier than i thought he goes give it 10 jumps yeah yeah Dave. and uh i gave it 10 jumps and i'm like yeah okay i it's it could be spicier yeah you guys kind of touched on it a little bit about what got you into skydiving, but like, when did you make the official decision to give it a shot? Like Jeremy, you talked a little bit about how your daughter was going. And so that was kind of the thing that pushed you into it a little bit. But, um, at what point did you decide, like, this is for me, I'm going to keep doing this. This is something I'm going to be, you know, like doing for a long time. Yeah. So, um, I, my first landing, I bounced off my tailbone. I'm pretty sure I broke it. And oh, yeah, so, okay. yeah, so I like, uh, um, it just hurt my pride. And so I like literally sat on a pillow and driving for two months. Um, I knew right then that I couldn't quit because I can't suck that bad at something. Um, mm-hmm. so it, I really didn't, I really thought I would only go once and then that tailbone, uh, deal. So I wasn't immediately in love with, um, uh, the whole skydiving process or whatnot, but, um, I was, I didn't want to suck. So I came back and I, um, did it again. And then something just drew me towards it. I just couldn't stop doing it. Um, even though everything inside me said, you know, especially the first few jumps said, what the fuck are you doing? Why would you let go of a plane, uh, <laughs> in, in fall? Uh, but there's just something that I can't explain. I just kept doing it. And now those brain chemicals are addictive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it obviously morphed from the adrenaline high to, you know, something different now, but, um, but that, I guess the answer to your question, I don't know, but there's something inside you that drives you to keep doing it. Yeah, I get it. What about you, Adam? Yeah. I, um, you know, when I was, before I started skydiving, I always kind of thought that it was just something that like this real small population did that you had to somehow, I didn't think it was something that a normal person could do, could get into. Like, obviously mm-hmm. I knew that you could go to a tandem, but learning how to skydive, you know, progressing in the sport, it wasn't anything that really crossed my, crossed my conscious stream as far as like, this is something I want to do. So, um, I was buried at the time, 2008 and for Christmas, to, you know, December 25th of, of 2007, my 
now ex-wife gave me a gift certificate and she said, I didn't know if you'd want to do AFF or if you're going to want to do a tandem. So I got you and I got your gift certificate for enough for you to go do a tandem. But if you want to do AFF, by all means, you know, we'll just pay the difference at the time. And that's, like I said, I did my first two jumps and I knew as soon as I jumped out of that plane, the first time, actually, I knew as soon as I was going through the course that, holy shit, this is something that I really want to do. I'm, um, I've always been, you know, an all or nothing type individual. I do at the time I was doing uh, triathlons competitively as an athlete my whole life. I was still playing competitive soccer all the way up until uh, I started skydiving. So I, I did that AFF course and I knew at that point. You know, actually, I knew as soon as I got the gift certificate and I started researching it, I was like, holy shit, this is going to be fucking epic. I can't wait to do this. I'm definitely going to learn and get my license. And I knew at that point. And then I jumped out of the airplane. I remember my first skydive really vividly minus the first 15 seconds of it. I did a, a tandem with Carrie McCauley, who's the DZO uh, at Skydive Twin Cities, which is my home DZ. All of our home DZs for that point at this point. Uh, and uh, I was like, Carrie you know, I did, I did the course like thing. And I was, you know, well ahead of the average tandem at this point. And he's just laughing his ass off. I mean, like, can we like do a backflip or some shit out of the plane? And he's like, I got you. And I remember <laughs> we jumped out of the airplane and I remember seeing ground sky, ground sky, ground sky. And it was chaos and a blur. And then all of a sudden it was stable and I was in free fall and I was holy fucking shit. And we landed and like I said, I did that first AF or my second jump as an AFF right away. And from that point forward, it was, it was all the brain chemicals. I was a hundred percent in at that point, knew it was something that I was definitely going to pursue. Uh, you know, and it, the, the brain chemicals wear off pretty fast. The adrenaline goes away pretty fast and you have to mm -hmm. find something else in the sport that keeps you going. And for me, a lot like Jeremy, I'm, I'm a competitive individual. I don't like to suck at something. I like things that I'm good at. Uh, and I was naturally good at belly flying. You know, so like yeah. I progressed through belly flying and into four way real fast. So it was pretty early, early on, if not immediately that I was like, this is something I'm going to pursue in a real hard way. Nice. Uh, and I got real gore oriented towards becoming an instructor and sharing with people. Yeah, I get it. Led to kind of to my break, you know, um, yeah. but it was real quick that I was like, this is a hundred percent something that I'm going to do and I'm going to do it at a level that not everyone can do. Like okay. I want to be real good at skydiving. That's cool. uh, real good at skydiving. So that's how it kind of started for me. So do you guys remember your very first skydive? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the whole thing super clearly or is it more of like fragments? Everything but the, the exit, like the first probably 10 seconds, the free falls a blur. And then uh, from there on, it, it it comes real crystal clear in my my brain. Part of me wonders okay. though if I haven't reconstructed that memory, having yeah. gone on as many skydives as I have, that I just know what it was, mm -hmm. versus remembering the actual first skydive. Yeah. What about you, Jeremy? Do you remember? Yeah, I would marginally. You know what I mean? Uh, I I, uh, I remember about as much as I remember anything else. I don't think it's it's hyper clear or it's or or it's uh, any different than anything else for me. Okay. Um, I mean, there's definitely a memory that stood out and the memory was what kind of fucking person would let go of this plane? <laughs> that was, that was running yeah. through your brain as you were getting, it was a slight hesitation when I, when I was doing my check-in check-out mm -hmm. and I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. and then you were like me, motherfucker, I'm the person. <laughs> yep. I'm the motherfucker that's doing it. Cause I'm dumb as shit. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Hey guys, what's your favorite discipline? 
in skydiving? Canopy piloting. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred okay. percent. Minus uh, probably free flying. Yeah, but it is free flying mm -hmm. at this point. But I think it it, it changes it, it morphs because it it's uh, um, there's so much. There's so many different things, and uh, that's what's so much fun okay. about it. I was know? gonna say like if you had any choice, like any kind of any choice, what to do on any skydive, like the world was at your feet and anybody would join you on your jump what kind of jump would you go do like canopy piloting and free flying or i'd flock yeah and then uh i'd break the flock early and instead of doing a team landing i'd send it at a pond mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i would uh i would free fly i would probably do um some sort of larger not large way um i'm not really interested in that but it would be with uh, free fly with, you know, an ideal jump would be free fly with uh, some super shredders. Uh, you know, uh, maybe six, seven mm -hmm. people, and 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 do do some sort of VFS type thing. Maybe not with six some or seven, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah, 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 some sort of formation that's got some okay. moves in it. If it for that's me, awesome. for me, Sam, if it wasn't canopy piloting or flocking i would definitely do i mean i really really enjoy angles and i really enjoy free flying as well especially mm -hmm. now that i'm unlocking the head down bit you know yeah. and getting into vfs but angles uh are uh, just a riot especially mm -hmm. flying on your back i uh, just really enjoy uh, flying angles on my back mm -hmm. cool that's awesome um if you guys do you guys have like a like a favorite jump or like a most memorable jump I think my most memorable skydives are the worst ones, you know, the ones that shit went real wrong. But if you're, if you're looking for a positive memory, uh, I think my favorite skydive uh, that I can come up with was at uh, an XP Ascend angle camp last summer. Mm -hmm. I was down at uh, Rayford um, and I struggled and angles, while I said earlier, it's, you know, one of my favorite disciplines and flying on my back is one of my favorite disciplines. Uh, it did not come naturally for me. It's been struggle bus, you know, like beat your head into a wall. And I don't like things that I'm not good at. And I remember nailed the fucking exit, brought it right up. I flew into my slot and the coach, the lead gave me a let's go, let's go and pulled me up to him and got a high five from on my back and stayed in my slot and kept flying it the whole way through top to bottom, like perfectly in slot, including on breakaway where everyone else peeled off and he shook his head and he's like, you're going with me. And we did a little miniature two way at the back end of that skydive and broke off and mm -hmm. thumped. And that will always stick out in my brain. Cause it's the point at which I feel like back angles finally, finally clicked and resonated for me. I had, the, you know, I finally got the feel for it uh, and could, could fly it consistently from that point forward. So that one will always stick out getting that high five uh, yeah. on my back was like, fuck yeah like it's finally happening in this discipline for me that's super cool that's yeah. awesome what about jeremy it's so hard to pick it's so hard to pick one in fact I, i'm also i'm like 10 second tommy i, I literally yeah. I, I i jump i'm like yeah that was freaking great and then uh forget to forget about that jump i, I record I, you know i have videos and i you know i try to fill up my logbook from the videos and i'm like god i don't even remember that jump i mean i was it was just like mm -hmm. yesterday uh, but I would say probably um, probably a head down jump with uh, Mikey Silva and Cole from uh, Portland and Lissy. Cole Fair. 
Yeah, and uh, I somebody yeah. else was on a jump with us too, and I can't remember. But I like fucking nailed my slot. I just got there, you know, and I dove out, which was kind of one of my first uh, diving out of the plane and getting into my slot and grabbing grabbing around, you know. So mm-hmm. that 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 felt really good, and the, I, just because I fucking nailed it, and um, and mm-hmm. I probably couldn't do that, you know, at the time I probably could could have done that. Uh, I would maybe 50% of the time and I just got it. So, uh, so That's awesome. yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I made Cole think I was a better flyer than I really am. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Cole's, Cole's fantastic for anybody that doesn't know Cole fair. If he is in town, sometimes he's in town to help out with training at the tunnel at iFly Minneapolis. But if he's in town and you have the ability to go and train with him or, or get coaching with him, like you absolutely should Cole fair for anybody that wants to know it's Cole F E H R Cole fair. He's fantastic. Yeah. He's a bomb tunnel coach. I've learned more from him in three sessions and I've learned hours of other coaches. He just has a way. Yeah, he's also um, one of the members of Pranavayu, too, yep. as well, if anybody knows that team. Um, he is, uh, I think, their their fourth guy, I think. Um, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But he is, uh, he's in that, um, I think they're world champions, like world champion level level dynamic team, four-way dynamic team in the tunnels. Like, so he is, he knows his shit. Like, he knows exactly, like, you're going to, you're going to learn you're going to learn a ton from him. So absolutely take him up on any kind of offer or any kind of opportunity um, that presents itself. If he's in, if he's in town, I think, or if you're ever in Portland, I think DSP is on that team as well. Right, Sam. Uh, I don't know. We didn't talk. I, I, he might've been at some point. That's I, I wouldn't quote me on that one. I'd have to look it up. No, but he's also an instructor at the Portland tunnel at Portland stacked with talent. So if you get the chance to go out there and work, both. If you ever get the chance to work there, like absolutely take take the opportunity. Yeah. Like, but they D- are DSP and Cole Fair, fucking killer coaches when it comes to mm-hmm. dynamic lines. Super nice Tons guys too. Super nice. Yeah. Guys. Oh yeah. Way awesome. DS DSP came out for um because he was also out here for help at the tunnel. Yep. You know, at I I fly Minneapolis this last summer, and he came and hung out with the, or hung out with us at the drop zone all over uh, the Fourth of July. Yep. Dude is so nice, super cool. I had some of the funnest jumps I think I've ever had, like in a long time with him. And it's just a bunch of like movement and combining different disciplines together. It's basically just like MFS on steroids, and it was far and away the funnest jumps I think I've ever done in my entire career super cool super cool yeah easiest person to build a friendship with too just yeah. a fucking cool dude with dsp if you're listening heart. we love you love you we love big you time. love you long we love time you DSP. <laughs> <laughs> all right so moving on um you guys talked about what your favorite skydives were what um if you guys are okay with talking about it because i know sometimes it's embarrassing and we don't want to be judged and i know that when i think about my scariest skydives or the ones that i'm the most overwhelmed by I always have a little tiny moment of where I'm like I don't want to talk about it because I don't want people to look like look down on me um for making that mistake you know but if you have a um uh like a what's your scary I mean that's like kind of one of those those uh questions that a lot of woofos ask all the time you know like what's your scariest skydive like what you know like what's your scariest jump like whatever happened to you you know you're like tell me about it um like I can think of three or four instances that stick out in my mind about like probably the scariest jumps that I've ever, I've ever been on. But, um, 
if you guys are okay with talking about it, like sure. what was your scariest jump? I, I can start. Mine was my 16th and it was right after I cut away my 15th. Um, I wasn't scared of my 15th. I, I just followed my training and actually didn't freak out at all. Just mm-hmm. training took over and it didn't bother me. Um, even, almost all the way down the ground. I mean, I didn't, I really didn't, you know, try to fly my reserve overly, you know, I was just doing a here uh, pattern in and with that, but I, um, I know, I knew I needed to bury that, especially, you know, cause I was a super young jumper. Um, mm-hmm. And there's video, I think, uh, I think Breezy's got video of me um, at the door. I could see it in my eyes on the 16th jump. I was scared as fuck. Uh, just trying to bury that jump. And, and I did. Um, yeah. I think I jumped three more times that day just to get it out and it worked, it worked well, but yeah, nothing, nothing went wrong on that jump. Um, but it was my scariest jump by far. Like just because, just because you had something crazy and unexpected happen to you beforehand, got your adrenaline pumping. Right. And then, yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's like, uh, the, the one beforehand was, um, was a single, um, uh, single handle, uh, student mm-hmm. rig. Um, and I pulled that and the spring loaded pilot chute wrapped around one end of the, um, canopy and bow tied that mm-hmm. thing off center. So it's fun. Um, it really, at the time, it really didn't seem like that big of a deal. It was spinning fast and I, mm-hmm. you know, I cut that away and then, um, and then obviously I was spinning so fast and my reserve had you know, line twist, but a couple, and I was able to kick out of that. And none of it really bothered me until, uh, you know, I sat on the ground for a few hours, you know, waiting to get on the next jump because of wind or clouds or whatever it might be. But that was definitely the scariest. I've had a lot of other sketchy shit happen, but I generally just let it float off. Mm -hmm. Okay. Adam? Oh, man, I've had a few. Uh, me and you both bro yeah i think probably the one that that sticks out the most where it was just pure raw fear versus like wow i made some real shit choices and got Mm -hmm. myself into a bad spot was i think it was jump 99 i have weird things happen on 99s i was jump 99 we had done a hybrid uh for nick jarlsberg uh Oh man, Nick, Nick haven't yeah. seen that guy in forever. Yeah, cool dude. Uh, it was it was his hundredth jump. We were, you know, him and I were real hot on the sport. We were on a four way team together, like keeping up competitively as far as like jump numbers and all that, and trying to you know keep up with each other. And it was his hundredth jump. We did a hybrid, and I had my first rig was really misfit. Uh, it was way mm-hmm. too big for me, and you know I I like to lift weights. And I work at a computer, so I have some shoulder mobility issues. I'm not exactly the most mobile individual just in general. And the rig, you can see it in the video, had slid quite a ways across my back. So the the rig had shifted to the to the left side of my back. And I, I remember breaking off, tracking away, wave, went back to pull, and I couldn't find the rig, couldn't find the handle. There was nothing there. You know, yeah. reach once, reach twice, go to – you know, then start executing executing your EPs. And looking back on it, it would have been super easy just to reach back with my other hand, push the rig back over, you know, find, yeah. I had tons of time. But in the moment at that, at that experience level, I was like, 
fuck this. And I went straight to re- terminal reserve ride. Mm-hmm. Didn't cut away. Uh, I remember thinking real clearly that I don't have anything out, so I don't need to cut away and went straight to my reserve handle, you know, pros and cons to both those. Uh, but that decision, mm-hmm. you talk to your instructors about that. If you want to get into the details on the pros and cons of each of that, I'll stick by my decision on that one hundred percent of the time of going straight to reserve. But that one freaked me out pretty hard because, you know, not being able to find your pilot chute, your 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 hacky or your putt or whatever you have floating back there, uh, really freaked yeah. me out. Jump four ninety nine, I uh, broke my back in two places, like I mentioned on a swoop, and so jump five hundred. Coming back, I came back after seven weeks and six days. The doctors told me I needed to wait eight weeks, and fuck that. I wasn't going to wait a day longer. Uh, <laughs> the weather looked like shit the following Sunday, so I was like, well, it's Saturday of the day if I'm going to jump, and I felt solid. And uh, we did a speed star out of a shorty van, shorty caravan, so there must have been. At West Side, right? Yeah, West Side. Uh, there must Ew. have been like 10 of us on it, because uh, I think there's a tandem on the plane as well. Um, and I was going to be the last one out, uh, cause it was my 500 jump. And I remember running up to the door and I hit that door and I paused for a solid breath. Like, yeah, I don't know if I can do this. And then I threw myself out. That one was real scary. Yeah. I've had a few of them here and there, uh, t- had a tandem early, early in my tandem career when I, you know, I threw a couple drogues off the side of my foot one or two here and there, uh, dumping, being head low, but I had one where it got gnarly and I got scared and I wanted a drogue out above me. And I thought I timed it as I was coming through properly. And I was significantly head low and bridles on a drogue are Kevlar. Mm-hmm. And I uh, threw that thing and the bridle went around my ankle and then burnt all the way across yeah. my foot and ripped my, went through my free fly pants, through my sock and shredded my was- ankle. Was that a skydive Twin Cities? Yeah. yeah. I remember that. I remember yeah. that. I remember yeah. coming down and seeing the mark and being like, holy shit. That was the that was my first year as a tandem instructor, too. Yeah. And I remember seeing it and be like, oh, my God. Yeah, and I, I sat <laughs> down after shit. that and had a real good, real big come to Jesus. Like, if I'm not going to have – if I'm not going to have the mental wherewithal to throw when I'm in a suitable position to dump the drogue, then mm-hmm. I have no business being a T.I., uh, so it was a yeah. huge lesson for me and exceptionally scary because drogue entanglements, uh, for anyone that doesn't know that doesn't do t- uh, tandems, drogue entanglements are one of the scarier EPs, in my opinion. They, I would say they are the scariest. I would say that they are the they are the most dangerous, too, as well. Yeah. Like, so to, of, yeah. to be that close to having a, a drogue bridle wrapped around your foot and then having to go through the, the extended EPs where... Yeah. You're clearing three rings and such and mm-hmm. disconnecting an RSL while you're in free, you know, tandem yep. free fall without a drug above you to keep you stable. So trying to keep a passenger stable while you have an entanglement and have to release an RSL and then go through the extended EPs. I just know, you know, it was, it was that was, yeah. now that I'm talking through it, that was probably my scariest moment in free fall. Yeah. So no, that's fair. Um, drug, I mean, like to this day, like I, I will be sitting on the plane at least once a day, I'll be sitting on the plane going through like different uh, EPs for tandems, um, specifically like the drogue related ones, because they're the hardest ones to remember. Right. And then on top of that, they are the scariest and probably the most dangerous. Like, so I'm like 
like make sure you have it down like and and it's been what 10 years of doing tandems like I have it down but it still is in the back of my mind like make sure you know what to be doing in this situation because like holy shit you do not want to be you do not want to be uh you know another fucking statistic in this in this sense like by any means when you got someone else's life in your hands at the same time right like I've come to terms that if I somehow go go out the plane and that's the last one like I'm I'm real comfortable with it, you know, Yep. not that I want to die, but real comfortable with it. Someone else on you. That's, that's pretty unfair to them. No, I get it. I understand. Jeremy, this is going to be kind of a sappy question, but like who inspired, who or what inspires you on the drop zone? You don't say me. I'm going to kick your ass. That'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> good choice. Good choice. Uh, you know, I'm an odd duck really. I, the whole, the whole drop zone uh, atmosphere inspires me. I really like, um, I mean, obviously there's, you know, some of the super shredders like Mikey, you know, um, you know, some of the awesome instructors like yourself, um, some of the um, old timers that have been doing it for a long time, you know, um, they all, they all kind of inspire me. But um, I mean, I look at, let's say Marsha, uh, she's, you know, um, Marsha, 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 Marsha. She's, she's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what age she is, but she's considerably older than I am. And, uh, she's just still got a passion for it. But beautiful, but beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. She's beautiful. She's yeah. fantastic. I love she's Marcia. badass. She's, and she's one of the reasons that I, I continue to jump. Why I just, I love yeah. jumping with her. And, um, uh, some, some days, uh, the enthusiasm she sends it too oh i know shit i know like she fucking sends it in every every condition condition oh my (laughs) god full send marcia full send very metal i love it (laughs) yeah she's uh i dig her um uh boy you know even even some of the the newer jumpers i could just get inspired by their their excitement you know um Mm -hmm. i just love uh, watching people do what they love. And in this sport, there is everybody that's jumping on that plane absolutely fucking loves it. And most of them are um, scared shitless or nervous or, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. at some, they just, they all love it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there because they're throwing themselves out of a plane. So I yeah. dig that. And I dig, I dig watching the people that have been around for a long time that still have the passion for it. Bill Rome, he can't jump. He can't jump enough in a day. It's like I get down. He goes, "Oh, can you can you make a 15? No, I don't fucking want to make a fifteen. I don't want to sweat packing and get up. Who Bill is that? Rome, yeah. Bill. Oh, get, yeah. It's just like, damn, Bill. You, I mean, I don't need to get fifteen in today. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that passion. I love watching him. He's just like yeah. a little kid. It's fun. Um, hey, Adam, Yo. uh, you've been around for a really long time, long time, right? Love you. Long time. Right. Like what is it? 15 years now? Well, 2008. So, so 15 years, Yeah, 15, 16 years, some shit like that. Yeah. You've been a long time. What's the, uh, what's the biggest change that you've seen in the sport over the 15 years or let's see. Yeah. What's the most significant change, you know, you've seen from when you started to now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's been a big evolution in wings uh, from when I started, right? So 
this is, I don't know, this sound weird. Uh, you know, a, a velocity, a VC, velocity comp or a VE or VC used to be, you know, a super aggressive wing. Uh, and now everything's changed to the Schumann plan form uh, in, the, in the braced community, right? A big swept nose on it uh, versus more of a squared off nose. Uh, the performance of those canopies is drastically different. So there's been a big change, yeah. I think, in canopy piloting and how people pilot canopies. I think that there's been some changes that we'll call out, but if there's old timers listening on listening in on this, I say, yeah, we're doing that back in the day, you know? So like, I think a lot about like angles, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they're going to be like, oh, we were fucking doing track and dives back in the day. You weren't doing what we're doing now. I'm sorry. It's, yeah. it's very, very different. It's movement, right? It's dynamic it's, movement. It's, it's way I, different than just tracking. It's yeah. not just a flat track. It's not putting a flat track feet. It's you're yep. doing you're doing dynamic lines and dynamic yep. movements where you're putting it, you know, and you're on your back and you're doing push throughs or you're bringing mm -hmm. it to head up to leading with to or to head up movement going forward. Uh, you're doing mm -hmm. really cool things where you're stalling things out, so you get real steep and then flat, 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 flat install it out and then use that uh, to go into different things. So I think the dynamic, the level, at least the level of dynamic flight is drastically different. Cause when I started back in 08, there was, there was no one doing anything other than flat tracks when it came yeah. to, to tracking. And that was a means to an end. It was a way to get better at tracking so you could gain better separation at exit versus mm -hmm. trying to fly these real tight, nice dynamic lines relative to another flyer. Yep. But I think in those two spaces, there's been a big change. There's been a big change also as, you know, things progress. You know, when I started, all the free flyers were wearing real baggy suits with a lot of drag on their arms and on their leg. Yep. And now all the shredders are flying flexes, right? Where you're yeah. flying your body versus leaning on the suit. Mm -hmm. um, and and granted, there's some body type differences in there. If you're a if you're a built, bigger, heavy guy, or if you have a body type that's shorter and center of mass, yeah, you're gonna. That's eat. me. That's me. I'm yeah. I'm that one. <laughs> you're gonna, Hi, you're, I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> you're still gonna you're still gonna need some of that advantage, like especially like in the VFS space versus the dynamic space, right? Sam, you can fly flex. I've seen you fly flex. I've seen you fly it in the tunnel well. But mm -hmm. if you're looking at doing VFS. You're going to take that advantage still to this day to put some drag on there to yeah. to help moderate free fall or to give you the power where you need it. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the technology of the wing, the dynamic level of flight that's out there and the, the things that are happening in that dynamic space, really fucking cool, really intriguing and fun in that. And then also, you know, like just the way that we're flying our body versus flying a suit as we move forward in the sport as we have the biggest areas of changes that I've seen. I mean, you're probably, I mean, that's probably pretty accurate. When I was, th when I s was thinking about that, that same topic, I was thinking more along the lines of like, you know, specific, I guess, no, I mean, I guess it, it I'm not a, I'm not a big, you know, swooper. Like I don't, I don't really, a 90 degree turn is enough for me. I don't really have any plans to go farther than that. So like when I think about disciplines, canopy, canopy piloting really isn't at the forefront of my mind. So I was expecting more of an answer of like along the lines of like angle or free flying or like the attitude towards those things. But you're probably right. Like that is probably the most significant change in skydiving is the technology that we're using. Like 
particularly in the canopies, not even just in main canopies, but also in reserve canopies. I mean, like with the advent of the optimum, you know, and now like some of these other, um, I I hesitate to say knockoffs, but like these other manufacturers versions of the optimum, you know, like with, with the advent of that kind of stuff, I mean, you can hook an optimum if you wanted to, you know, you could, you you know, it's, (laughs) so the technology is quite different, like considerably different. So yeah, like that, even in reserve that made me deployment. think about it for sure. Even in reserve deployment, right? Like RSLs have been around for a while, but now yep. everything is a skyhook or a MARD. Uh, yep. And the argument you have your debate about on, under a heavily loaded uh, mm-hmm. braced canopy if that's a good decision or not. Uh, statistics will say that it's advantageous to have an RSL or a skyhook hooked up to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will unhook mine only when I'm flocking uh, mm-hmm. because you definitely don't want to have an RSL hooked up when you're flocking, especially yeah. with a loaded canopy. Like you will cut through someone real fast and you don't want to be dumping a reserve immediately mm-hmm. out. You want some separation in that, right? Same as if you're doing crew, you're not flying an RSL, but when it comes to reserve deployments, there's been some pretty significant technology advances, but I think overall the place that it's moved the most is the technology and the engineering of the wings that we're flying today. And that isn't just braced canopies either, right? You look at the Crossfire 3 or some of the, the Spain Crossfires. Those are he now on burped, a shoe. By the way, that was what that was. He burped real good. I did. Yeah, I've been drinking Loon Juice, everyone. <laughs> I'm going to put a shout out Very to Loon Juice. Get, get my drink on with some cider today. Sponsor me, Loon Juice. Sponsor me. <laughs> <laughs> I, will fly, I will fly a Loon Juice bag DK if you pay for it. I'm just saying. <laughs> put it right across my chest on my on my uh on my new suit yeah <laughs> we're getting a four-way vfs team going if you guys want loon juice we're the loons oh god the loons juicers. oh god the loons are here oh. oh god let's not name us that okay if they paid that's for gonna all be our tunnel time you'd do it jeremy that's gonna be our four-way yeah oh, oh yeah. my he god yes, you would. don't even don't yeah <laughs> call me like... whatever you want at that point right yeah you call me late for lunch at that point fuck I think we could That's we could awesome. probably negotiate negotiate a somewhat cooler name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that one to you. We'll leave it to you. Um, okay, so you guys are kind of at a similar. The reason I had you guys both on on the same podcast, right, is because or the same episode is because you guys have are or are at a very similar point in terms of like where you're going, where your trajectory is heading, right? You guys are very sim like doing a lot of similar things right now in like tunnel flying and in skydiving. Um so I kinda wanted to get your take on on the same the same topic, right? I want to get your guys' take on how to approach being coached in skydiving. I want to get your take on like what the pros and cons are for that. Um, why you would do it, why you wouldn't do it, right? Um, I would also love to hear a little bit about your opinion about tunnel time or like traveling for coaching or traveling for camps, that kind of stuff. You guys have both had similar experiences in that sense. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, like where where do you guys fall on that? You know, um, wh- let's just start. Like what are the pros and cons about paying for coaching like early on in your skydiving career? Uh, can, I, can I start, Adam? Yeah, I was sure. going to ask if you wanted to Yeah, I only want to start because you are, um, you've had um, much more experience in, in traveling, coaching, and things like that. Um, 
I haven't had a, uh, almost probably zero skydive coaching, but um, because I've just been fortunate fortunate enough to be friends with all of you guys. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So granted, I could have sought it out and I probably should have. So my opinion on uh, coaching is absolutely. Um, I don't know that there's a, a lot of con except for the price and the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I have had a lot of coaching in the tunnel or uh, I shouldn't say a lot. I've, I've had 10 hours of coaching in, in the tunnel, uh, but it's mm-hmm. it's 10 hours that you, you it's well worth it. Um, you got more than that, dude. Well, yeah, you have to have more than 10. Well, I guess I'm only counting. Um, no. You're like at least 20. Oh, I have 20, probably 20 to 25 hours total in the tunnel. Are you talking about just, just coach coaching time in the tunnel? Yeah. Like, so, okay. um, so the majority of my coaching was like with Mikey, but I maybe did a session or two with you. Um, I've done mm-hmm. some sessions with, um, with, um, Megan, um, Megan. but yep. that's it. Uh, but it's, it was, it's very valuable. Uh, I could be, you just can't do the, th- you, you can't get the amount of, uh, feedback and as fast as if you're doing it in the sky if you're doing it in the sky mm-hmm. um it's so much harder so so i really firmly believe in tunnel coaching if you can afford it um mm-hmm. i also believe that you know if you can't afford it and you're still there just to have fun shit go send it you know what i mean uh do the best you can mm-hmm. with you know what you can do because i was a skydiver and i went to the tunnel and i said mikey the only reason I, I was at the drop zone and I'm like trying to work on forward, you know, head up forward, forward progress. And I'm like, Mikey, how can you, you know, I just want to get to fucking Marsha and make her smile. I just want to get to somebody and make them smile. <laughs> I'm sick of being static, falling straight down. And yeah, that's where the tunnel comes in. Uh, I guess like, yeah, I guess that's, that's a, that's another good point to bring up before we even start talking about like the pros and cons to it. It's like, why, why even go for tunnel time? Why go for coach tunnel time? Like what, it's not, it's not like, I I would say like a very small chunk of skydiver, like actual skydivers commit to like paying big chunks of, of uh, money. Um, It's basically a small fortune, right? Like like paying a small fortune to to the tunnel like there's i would say that people that are doing that are the minority not necessarily the majority and um like what is the motivation there like why do you do it why like because it's a lot of money right like why do you throw down all this money to get good at skydiving or get good at these skills like what are you trying to use it for where is the motivation lie like what is pushing you to do it and that's and that's a question that uh, i've asked myself a lot is you know uh, what monetary value does do these skills give me? And they just don't. These skills cost me more money every day. But mm-hmm. they keep you out of therapy, bro. Yeah, I mean, I, I just <laughs> I, I freaking dig it, man. I, I you know, uh, I've never had anything in my life that I've been more passionate about. Uh, I've ever. Yeah, I think I think at least for me now, right? Like, so my experience is a lot different than than your guys's, right? Like, I'm at a point now where. I'm willing to spend money on tunnel time because it's fucking fun. Like it's fun going in there and flying with four other people or three other people and cranking a bunch of VFS points. Right. It's a lot of fun going in and just flying dynamic with Zach. Right. Like I'm at a point where I know how to do all this stuff. And like now it's now it's just like skydiving where it's it's a lot of fun and a sport all on its own. 
Um, it's definitely hard to get into that and get to the point that I'm at or that Megan's at or, you know, Mike Silva is. Um, it's definitely hard to get to that point, um, you know, because it is a lot of money and it's a lot of time. And even though I didn't have that experience and I didn't have to pay all that that money because I worked there, it's still like I can still understand and empathize with how hard it is to get to that point. But now then once you're at that point, like the reason you keep doing it is because it's, it's fucking fun. Yeah. Like even if you were to never take those VFS skills and translate them to sky to the sky, you're still flying. You're still doing, you know, what you want to do. So I guess like my stance on it is, is a little different than your guys's, but uh, so yeah, Adam pros and cons, right? Yep. So I'm going to break it into three yep. different areas. Uh, kind of sky coaching or camp. Mm-hmm canopy coaching which is distinctly different even though it's still in the air and then tunnel so for me before i took my little break from the sport uh i was an instructor and was not progressing in the sport i didn't have the money to progress in the sport the way that i wanted to you know i was working as an instructor as a second job to supplement income i wouldn't have been able to continue skydiving or afford it had i not been throwing drugs into an aff so it was a way for me to stay in the sport but as a result I watched all my friends getting super awesome at all these different disciplines, angles or free flying and doing all these things that I desperately wanted to do, but I wasn't capable of doing just because I didn't have the time or the money to invest into it, whether it was in the sky or whether it was in the tunnel. And I was taking tunnel trips out to Denver. There wasn't a tunnel local at the time, uh, which is a whole nother thing. You're, you're dumping multiple hours in over a very short period mm-hmm. of time. Uh, you have the travel expense, you have the hotel expense, you have the food expense. And at the end of it, I wasn't progressing in the yeah. tunnel even. I wasn't I wasn't seeing a, a, a ROI. There was no return on my investment there, at least not that I felt. And I took that break. I came back, hit you up. I had mm-hmm. some extra money. I was finally at a different place in my career. And I said, hey, I want to do these things. I want to learn how to fly in my head. It's something I've wanted to do since I started the sport. I've never been able to get anywhere close in the sky so let's work on that. Uh, and I had a lot of conversations with different tunnel coaches, you know, Silva, you, Mago, Brad. And it was like, well, do I, do I want to pursue some external coaching at a different tunnel and take, do a camp? Or do I want to invest in our tunnel and the coaching that we had there? Mm-hmm. And the reality for me was you can go and do three, four hours over a short period of time four or five hours if you want to do a week, you know, two to three hours if you're going to do a weekend and really dump some time in there. But you get fatigued, you get uh, you get a little bit, the, the, the more tired you get, the less precise you are in mm-hmm. the sky. And it was, it got to the point where it's like, well, if I can do two 10 minute sessions a week, if I can afford that, I think that's going to be the best option. And we have this little 12 foot tunnel in Minneapolis uh, with some pretty decent burbles uh, at the booth. Or at the driver's bo- driver's station and at the door, uh, so it's not it's not an awesome fourteen footer with clean air like some of the other tunnels, but it's more than sufficient. And I started doing two week two two sessions a week on average, so twenty minutes a week, coached. And I watched my flying, my free fly, and my ability to fly head up, and my eventual ability to fly head down just exponentially increase. Like the progression has been mm-hmm. addictive. And I'm flying in orientations that I've I've dreamt about, you know, and doing things four-way VFS now. So, you know, tunnel coaching, if you have the money to invest in it, is the quickest and best way to to progress both in free fall 
in, in dynamic flying. So our vertical or dynamic flying, in my opinion, you can, you can go spend two, three, 400 jumps learning and with no mm -hmm. beta, you don't have instant coaching. You don't know if you're moving left to right. You don't know if your fall rate's changing, but when you're in the tunnel, you have that frame yeah. of reference uh, where you know if you're getting floaty or you're sinking out. You know if you're drifting to the right You because you have the walls. You, and you have a coach in there telling you exactly, you know, work on this. Get uh -huh. your head back. You know, get your head back more. Uh, arms out more. Whatever whatever beta you yep. need. So you don't get that in free fall. And then it, secondly, in free fall, you have, you know, talk vertical. You got 45 seconds yeah. max. You have 10 seconds of that. That's subterminal. Uh, five to 10 seconds, depending on what you want to talk five to 10 seconds where it's subterminal. So you really, and then you have a break off as part of that 45 seconds too. So you have this working time. That's maybe and then not seconds. only that, but you have an and hour it, in between or a half hour, an hour in between each exactly, attempt. Right. So it's not like yeah, back to back. Exactly where, exactly <clears throat> where I was going. Right. So like one, if that, if that, if that skydive blows up because you're jumping with people that are also trying to learn. So you're launching a flower out the door, flowers blow up, especially early. You get tons of separation. Now you're just chasing people through the sky. You're not working on on honing yeah. a skill. Um, so you're wasting a whole bunch of fucking time. You have no idea if you're moving like new new sit flyers. What's the one thing that you tell them as an up jumper or as an experienced jumper? If you're gonna fucking go to a solo sit fly, turn yourself perpendicular uh -huh. to jump run because you're more than likely backsliding up or uh -huh. down jump run if you're go if you're facing on jump run. Um, so you don't know that you're backsliding because you have no it's boundless mm -hmm. in the sky. The, the tunnel's very controlled. And then to the point that you just made, you, you get the wonderful, the wonderful ending of a skydive of canopy flight. I love canopy piloting. I've, I've talked about that earlier. It's, it's, it's one of my passions, but now you have to pack. Now you have to wait for the loading to come up. Now you have to, you know, find who you're going to jump with. It's probably going to be different people, which means a whole different set of circumstances, all these mm -hmm. variables. So tunnel tunnels, in my opinion, if you want to progress and you want to get good, uh, especially with static and dynamic stuff, there's no better way. It's a fucking it's, money. It's <laughs> one of those things like, like what, what would you say is like from your perspective, right? So it's, it's different from my perspective because I was a tunnel instructor, right? So like my attitude about how much time you should be putting into this is a little bit different. Like from your perspective, from both of your perspectives, what's in, what's a decent yeah. amount of time to be committing to uh, every month or like just uh, whatever ratio you can think 10 minutes, think, 10 minutes, a 10 minutes a week. A week. Minimum. I, I say 10. Okay. Yeah. 10 minutes a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's comfortable. If you, if you're, you know, motivated, yeah. you know, I would, I would add another 10 or yeah. 15 I, onto that. I and like 20 minutes. I like 20 minutes okay. a week for me personally. And I like that broken into two okay. 10 minute blocks. And if you can't do that because of, you know, what mm -hmm. money, I guess the only reason you really can't do that yep. because of money. Uh, if you live uh, far away, you can get multiple times yep. in a day, but um, if you can't do that, then, you know, 10 minutes uh -huh. every other week. Um, but it's yeah, not to I say, mean, it's not to up, say though. that this is like the sole way to do it. Right. Because I, just in my no. time as a tunnel instructor in the three years that I was there, there were definitely the people like the regulars that came in multiple times a week that threw a ton of money out of it, at it. There were definitely the people who only did it once a week. And then there were people who did it every two weeks or every three weeks. And then there were the people that like threw a bunch of money down for an hour in a day, you know, coming from Duluth. And I'm looking at you, Trish. I'm looking at you, Andrea, like coming from all the way across the state. 
uh, for the day, you know, throwing down a bunch of money for an hour, you know, or a couple hours over a few days for the weekend or whatever. And they still were making really good progression, you know, um, doing that somewhat regularly. So once a month or once every other month or, you know, that kind of stuff. So like, it depends on what your situation is, right? Like, well, in, in knowing yourself and how you learn, you know, I'm, I'm 42 years uh-huh. old now. Had I started tunnel flying and had that opportunity at uh-huh. 22, I fucking could have sent it for an hour a day and had the energy and the, the, the recovery to do that. And also my body learned a lot faster when yeah. I was younger. Now I need some time. Like, you know, I'll take a week or a two week or even a three week break from the tunnel when I've been pounding skydives and pounding the tunnel and I'll come back and I'll be a little bit nervous that I'll mm-hmm. regress and I'll have yeah. progressed because, uh, the, the mind has a time to assimilate Mm -hmm. that. Uh, you know, you learn, you learn when you're sleeping, you go into the tunnel and you do all these reps. And at the end of it, you're fucking exhausted and you're sweating and you're getting sloppy and you go back and you sleep. And that's when learning and the the muscle memory really, really sets. If you want to talk Mm -hmm. physiology, uh, I think think you, you kind of talked a little bit about, you, you made kind of an interesting point about like knowing how you learn, you know, or like how you absorb information. I would argue as an instructor, like as someone who's been instructing in both the tunnel and in the and in the sky, like I would argue that a, a vast majority of people probably don't have an accurate representation or can't uh, like they don't they don't know how they learn. Like I would say that after having done so many reps in the tunnel or having the feedback from your tunnel coach or from, you know, going through all those experiences, now you have a better idea of like what it is you need, you know, out of these uh, out of these sessions or out of these um these camps or coaching uh, bits, but like to begin with, you probably don't really know what you, what you need, right? Like you probably don't have any clue of like what's going to happen or what your, what your predictable like traits are going to be like when you get tired, how often you get tired, you know? So it's, I would say a little bit, yeah, to begin begin with, it's a little bit of an experimentation. Like um, you definitely want to be absorbing as much information as you can, like really being super self-aware of like, what's my body doing? What, you know, like, like how tired do I get? At what point do I get tired in this session? Or like to get the maximum out of, you know, your money's worth, like right, getting your money's worth. So you're not throwing a ton of money at something, but not really gaining anything from it because you're so tired or you're so exhausted or or, or whatever. Like it's definitely experimentation to begin with. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more. So I've done a lot of traveling both for camps and for tunnel mm-hmm. coaching. So I've traveled, had the, had the opportunity or, the, you know, been blessed enough to be able to travel to Oceanside to spend a fair amount of time working with David Lang. Props. Love that man. He's dope. Great coach. Fucking killer individual. Uh, went to Arizona to work on static and got to work for a significant period of time with Jason Peters. Uh, dope coach as well. Paraclete to work on some dynamic stuff with Kurt Curtis. Uh, and so I've had some really great coaches and coaches that have come also into Minneapolis. Um, so I've done both where I've done consistently, you know, what was I doing? I easily, Sam, I was doing twice a week, oh, 10 yeah, minute for sessions sure. for the last two years, easily. Um, and I went out to those places and through significant chunks mm-hmm. of time, right? Uh, I've done hours in a day at all of those tunnels. And I know that when I came out of that, I had learned some things. I had learned some different concepts and theories from different coaching, but the progression wasn't there. Like had I broken that into, into, three 15 minute blocks spread out through the course of the week. It just, for me, didn't resonate. And I'm, I was a college athlete, played sports from the time I was four on. I know very well how my Mm -hmm. body learns. 
so I, I feel pretty blessed in that in that front to be self-aware enough to know how I learn. Um, so for me, what works best for me may not work what best for Jeremy, may not work best for Skydiver, whoever Skydiver over Joe. there, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, Skydiver Joe. But a 10-minute session twice a week tends to be my golden honey hole. It was what, what Mike Silva uh, pushed for when I was getting back into the sport. He's like, if you can afford two 10-minute sessions, coach, that's going to be your best opportunity to learn. And it's proven true for me right? Like you're, you're going to accomplish what you want significantly faster than traveling to a Detroit or a Utah and dumping two, three hours over the course of a weekend and then not flying for a couple And then months. not only that, but spending you're, all that extra money that you could have been spending on tunnel time, but like on airfare and on a rental car and on right. food and all that, you know, like a hotel. The, yeah, Your Airbnb. Yep. yep. So the price tag might look really beneficial. Oh my God, it's only mm-hmm. seven fifty an hour to go out to Utah, but you have a four hundred dollar fucking yeah. plane ticket. You have an Airbnb. You have a rental car. I've done plenty of traveling. You will burn through the money that yep. you're saving so much, so fast uh, that it doesn't. Necessarily yeah, and at a certain pay. point too, as well. And I mean, like Jeremy, chime in with this if you think this is inaccurate at all. But like at a certain point too, as well, for a majority of people, like they're still working on you know, I don't want to say basics, but like you're, they're still working on basics. They're still working on honing all of those base skills, you know, like whether it's belly or sit or, uh, you know, head down, down sit, like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter back flying. Like you're still working on all of those basic skills anyway, and really getting them good. Like you can do that at iFly Minneapolis. You don't necessarily have to go and pay like the, the top level, uh, dynamic coach to teach you to backfly. You know what I mean? Like, like you right. can do that. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely. Right. I would definitely, if, it, if it's for me, if you're, if you're working on back flying or working on yeah. sit flying, um, or even, even just to, you know, you know, head down transitions, things like that. Um, uh, well maybe head down transitions, you could, you could get, you know, mm-hmm. you could, you could go to Utah and, and nail those two, but, um, but those type of things, I mean, why not stay home and do it here? We, we have the expertise yeah. here. And, and, I mean, and Utah, Utah operates uh, you know. on a completely different level, though. Like they are a franchise tunnel. They are able to do things that yeah. like a corporate corporate iFly yeah. tunnel is not and able to do, you know? Yeah. And they push. And there are some great coaches mm-hmm. at that tunnel, you know, yeah. that are really yep. good at static and getting people stable and static mm-hmm. on their head, like in a very quick progression. Props to them. And I really can't speak to it because I, I haven't gone to Utah. I haven't gone to any other tunnels. I've only flown in Minneapolis. But what I'm gathering from people I've talked to is if you're a skydiver and you want to take kind of the fast track um, where you're you're not really worried about in-face carving or out-face yeah. carving, tongue type of stuff, you can go to Utah and you can get a lot mm-hmm. done pretty fast. Just in terms of like affordability, like if you wanted to get like from point A to point B the absolute fastest, like Utah's definitely a place to go for sure. In terms of affordability and in terms of like managing your money appropriately if you don't have a ton of money to spend on this but you want to get good really fast like go to your backyard you know like go to go to megan go to paul like go to the people at that tunnel um paul schaefer for anybody if you guys are listening megan lunston or megan eggestall and uh and uh paul schaefer sorry she's married now so it's (laughs) eggestall um but go to those people because like they're gonna be the most affordable easiest options to go to you know like you don't have to pay all that extra money go ahead sorry it's making a big assumption that you have a tunnel in your backyard. Yeah, no, like that's true. Now, if you live in, if you live in Fargo, yeah. like Andrea Joy, right, you're going to have travel expense yep. and commute expense. 
You're not going to be able to do twice a week more than likely because that's a fucking four hour, five hour drive to get into town. You're committing time to it. So maybe traveling is a better option at that point. And the last point that I'll make as far as traveling for a tunnel, if you've gotten to a point where you're head down and you're proficient at head down and you're starting to work on dynamic and you have your layouts going and you're working on some stuff and you want to seriously clean it up and you're at that level of flying, fuck yeah, spend the money and go out and maybe you maybe you buy a five hour or 10 hour block at at Fly Spot Mm -hmm. Poland and you work with the Schwager, Raphael Schwager, one of the coaches out there in a really nice Mm 14 foot tunnel. And you will get the return on investment at that point. But if you're starting and you're wanting to learn these base skills to what you made, the, the point that you made, whether it's learning to get stable on your head or cleaning up your head down or your, your head up, or whether it's starting to learn low speed, low speed head up stuff, right? That all can be accomplished at your yeah. local tunnel, regardless of what that tunnel is. There are coaches there that are adequate at teaching that and can get you safely to that point where then you can take it and start saving money. You know, like now, Jeremy and I, you talked about what we're on the same path. We're flying four-way VFS, and we're going there, and we're flying multiple times a week. Ten-minute blocks, we're getting 10 plus ten minutes of flying. Sometimes we'll book a 15-minute flight, and it's 40 to, 40 to $45. Mm-hmm. But split split that four we're ways, spending. right? Like, because there's four people. Yeah, you're, you're taking a $140, $130-whatever dollar, 10-minute block, and you're dividing it by four, and you're sharing that time amongst each other. You know, I had this big fear when I started doing four-way or three-way and sharing time with people. I didn't want to waste yeah. their time. I will be completely straight up. No one that I've flown with has ever made me feel like if I missed a transition or even struggled for a whole rotation has made me feel like I've wasted their time. Those people are still flying their slot. They can still transition and work on flying head down. They can work on cleaning up their head up while I'm struggling with the transition, and it's all cool. You're flying with yep. friends, you know? And, and it's cheap, so... Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you're, you progress so much faster. Um, you can, you can go in the tunnel and, and, you know, throw transitions to head down and play around by yourself or play around with two people. It is a completely different beast when you're flying with four people mm-hmm. in that tunnel, especially a 12 foot tunnel with yeah, lots of bourbon. For sure. Uh, cause everybody is in your space. Everybody's up your ass. You, it, it Rubbing's is racing, bro. Yeah, Rubbing's it, racing. It, it teaches you how to fly through anything. And, you know, in, you know, Mikey, or I'm sorry, Lissy and, and Dave and those guys would always tell me that. And Jen, I just never had the opportunity, but when the opportunity presented itself, like it was two, there's, they invited to, uh, invited me to fill in and just to help, help me mm-hmm. out a little bit along my way. And give you a taste. That changed gave everything. It gave that? you a taste, and now this is where you're yeah. at. Oh, they gave <laughs> me, like, yeah. Oh. Yeah, the first one's, yeah, the first time's free. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to fly up to Super Shredders, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it was, uh, uh, it was like, wow, that is hard, and that is rewarding, um, and I suck, and I need to get better. <laughs> um, but now it's, you know, and now we're doing it um, still sometimes with them and with mm-hmm. you, Sam. You know, it's... Uh, it's fun as hell, and it, it, we've all we've all improved. It's so such a much short amount of time, this. right? Like right, it's such an insanely right. short amount of time in comparison to like you know the progression that it took to get to this point. Like just to get signed off on your head down transitions, right? Like 
all that time and all that energy and all that money that you had to spend to get to that point. And now you're at a point where you can fly with all these people, you know, if like if they're capable, you're capable and you can get in and like save money and fly real like fly a ton of time and get good super, super fast. Right. Like it's insane. The learning curve um, when you when you put in all that that work and effort to get to this point, like the, the learning curves nuts. Oh, I was going to say, I remember talking to Dave Delanave. He's like, you know, you're going to get to a point where you'll get the transitions and you'll be able to fly static, but then you're going to cork. And then you're going to get a little bit further. And before you know it, you're going to be uncorkable. uncorkable. And we started flying four-way and Jeremy and I, uh, Linden, Lindbergh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm calling it Lindenberg now, <laughs> and Casey Matichek flew four-way last night. And we had we had our moments where it was fucking chaos, right? Yeah. You know, and we had our moments that were beautiful, but we had four large bodies in a 12 foot tunnel flying four way VFS and we're bumping legs. We're doing, you know, flowers where, as we're all rotating our three, three sixties to come back to it, we're kicking feet and no one's fucking corking. Yeah. You know, like two months ago I hit legs with someone and I would have been fucking corked instantly. Yep. And now we're all flying, not only through burbles, like massive burbles mm-hmm. and the, the shitty tunnel burbles at the door and at the driver's booth. But we're we're bumping off of each other. We're taking people's legs air out from underneath their legs as we're rotating around. Mm-hmm. We're all popping into shelf at times to fly because we're finding the air just naturally yep. in the lift naturally. And we're the progression is addic- It's a, it's addictive uh, to say the least. Just to watch, it's exponential. Very addictive, and it's it's so much fun. Like Sam was saying, she's at a point where she's having fun in the tunnel. Yeah, this yeah. is the first time that. I'm like I'm still progressing but yet I'm I'm having I'm having fun and Mm -hmm. it's it's freaking cheap you know what I mean you get to fly four times for the price of one right right I I mean I I literally just want to do you know a couple sessions in a day it's you know it's an hour drive so it's nice if I can do a couple sessions you get small but it's uh it's cheap and it's 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 fun and it's um, therapy it's great for it's great therapy yeah but it's great for your progression I, I don't think there's anything that I've done that's been better for my progression and, and Dave was always telling me that and I, I get it but I didn't have the the means I didn't have the people to do it with now yeah. we're kind of building this VFS through mm-hmm. a bunch of us so it's nice yeah um so tra- traveling for coaching in the sky and primarily I've done a lot of camps when it comes to both canopy coaching and seeking out canopy coaching mm-hmm. both in in swooping as well as flocking at this point and then angle camps mm-hmm. and i want to talk just real briefly about that uh you know a lot of a lot of the drop zones that are around the around the country are we we have a turbine we have a, a, a grand caravan with a with a converted engine so we can get to altitude real fast we have a pretty decently large fun jumper community but we're still small fry yeah and there's a lot of very smaller drop zones out there if you want to safely progress in angles i cannot advocate enough for going out and seeking quality angle coaching Mm -hmm. or even for that matter for that matter like canopy coaching too as well right canopy coaching angle like yep i'm gonna get to that as well um but like when it comes to angles everyone thinks that angles are like it seems easy right (laughs) like it's just tracking yeah. the amount of danger in an angle. I can't 
emphasize enough how fucking terrifying it is to be out there with meat missiles. And I was one, Mm. right? I was a meat missile as recently as last year. I was on a skydive at a camp. It was um, Horizon Camp, and I was in the intermediate group. Uh, And I was chasing the group. I was a little bit behind. I was the last person out of the plane. I was trying to catch up to the group. I missed the key on the turn and that group came at me at fucking Mach a thousand and I matrixed the shit out of it. And we talked about Paul, Paulie, Paul Schaefer earlier. He came at me and I literally barrel rolled under him and out the other side of the formation. And had we made contact, I would have been fucked up and I would have fucked up one of my great friends. Mm-hmm. Um, that will happen so fast. Uh, if you're out there, even just flying with your friends and it might not happen every jump, it's not going to happen every jump, you know, 99 out of 100 times, it's fine. But until you start to get proficient in proper coaching, you are a goddamn liability in the sky. Yep. Um, in angles. You're moving at 180 plus miles an hour, doing dynamic lines. It's a dynamic flight plan. If you can't safely fly head down, yeah. you know, like you can't, you can't safely do a goddamn angle. Yep. And even if you can fly safely head down, that doesn't mean you can safely do mm-hmm. an angle. And it, I don't want to sound like an old, uh, you know, a crusty old timer. Go get coaching. I mean, go get fucking coaching. It's not even that. Like, has someone had? I mean, don't 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 feel like that at all. Because I mean, you and I were kind of witness to like the advent of angle flying. You know, like we were around when it first started becoming a thing, and like the people down south and the big like the fly for life camps and like the UPT camps were starting to like really take off, and things were really starting to happen and get big. Like we were around for like when we were still like just getting like 10 people on a flat track was like a big deal when we were leading shit on our backs, you know, like, and when we were taking stuff steep, you know, and we were just like kind of going steeper a little bit on a, on a tracking, you know, like we were around for the very beginning of this stuff. And so like watching how it progresses and watching like the number of incidents that have happened and hearing about like the statistics about it and hearing about um, how these coaches, these, these like, pioneers in this discipline have changed what they've been saying uh, about it over 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 years like almost 10 years now right um listening to how all of that has like evolved and changed like we we are very well informed you know about what the dangers of this this particular discipline are and like what the consequences are of uh of going at it without being adequately prepared you know like we we understand it because we've been around for the entire evolution of of this particular discipline but there are quite a few new jumpers you know like this is the new free flying you know when we when we first started free flying was the hot cool thing to go do and we were we were receiving the same talk from people who knew better than we did you know and now angle is the new is the new hot thing to go do so all the new you know young jumpers come into it and they say that's what I want to do I want to do that because it's the coolest thing out there and everybody awesome is doing this you know um and they're no longer like they're just they're doing the typical the typical new skydiver thing of like not really giving it a ton of thought not asking the right questions not receiving coaching from people not looking for resources you know they're doing the same thing you know yep and like you know I've been to multiple fly for life camps I've been to multiple horizon camps I've been to a Neil Kuhlman camp. I've been to mm-hmm. Pericle or the XPSN camps. I've, I've done a number of camp, a fair number of camps. I did back in the day. I did, I mentioned I did a Ryan Risberg camp. Mm-hmm. Fucking miss that dude. Uh, and Sharon was there as well yeah. uh, for that camp. Uh, you know, and the one that I'm going to prop up the most, I, I, 
the best camp I've been to for me where I'm at that I had the most fun at, and this is not a demerit on any others, was the XPSN camp in Rayford. Mm -hmm. Fucking killer camps. You're working with world champion freestylists at that, right? Mm -hmm. Between Jake Carlton and Jason at this point. Uh, But the Fly for Life Evo camp. And I've heard a lot of people talk shit about it. Oh, it's a small format camp. It's only three flyers and a coach. It's super expensive because you're splitting the cost of the coaching between three flyers as opposed to like a a warm-up camp or some of these bigger camps where you have six flyers in it and you're splitting the cost between six flyers. It is worth every fucking penny because it matches your level exactly. They will put you into a group that matches exactly where you're at, and they mm-hmm. will push you to that uncomfortable spot where you're not going to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And if you get a little dangerous, they'll scale it back just a little bit. So your progression at that, my progression at that camp has been the fastest and the the biggest that I've seen as far as improvement of flight skill at the at the Evo camp. And I yeah. can't recommend that camp more. Luis, Claudio, Class Axe. Yep. that know what the fuck they're talking about and know exactly how to coach it. Is that essentially an, a uh, warm-up camp now? Is that what they're calling the warm-up camp now, is an Evo camp, or is that no, different? it goes Evo is three-person, okay. warm-up is, is six in a coach or five in a coach, and then you have flight camp, which is going to get into your really progressive dynamic stuff. Yeah. But the cool thing about Evo is they match you exactly where you're at. So you can go there with three super shredders, and you're going to be doing all the shit that they're going to be doing in flight camp because the talent is there for it. Yeah. Or if you're just learning, like a Jeff Howell, who's put in a lot of time going to camps, uh-huh. props to Jeff for putting in the effort and the time and the money, they will match you exactly where you're at. If you don't even exits on angles are paramount, right? Yep. Like if you're going to be in, the, if you're going to be in an angle, you have to hit it from the exit from the exit on, and we, so they'll they'll match you at the exit. And like have you working on that and they'll get you exactly where you need to be and then progress you from there. So it gives you this wonderful opportunity where no matter what level you're at, you're getting appropriate level coaching, whether you're a super shredder or whether you're brand new and just starting to dip your toes into angles. Mm -hmm. And then canopy coaching. Don't swoop your fucking canopy at the ground without going and getting some real coaching. Let's be honest about it. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about canopy coaching because I mean, let's be honest, the vast majority of incidents in our sport aren't in free fall. It's not free fall related injury incidents. It's not malfunctions or double malfunctions, although there are definitely instances of those that are going to fuck you up. The vast mm-hmm. majority of the times that people get fucked up, you're flying a perfectly good canopy into the ground yeah, under user air. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of it. You know, I, I talked earlier about 499. I broke my back in two places. I was just starting to toy with the idea of 270s and starting to throw 270s at the ground. I had no real understanding of what the dynamic of a 270 degree turn was what the cadence should be i just knew that i was going to rotate three quarters of a turn and try to build up as much speed as i can and hopefully i got it right um Mm -hmm. and i had had some swoopers that were talking me through it but they weren't talking me through it you know they weren't watching my swoops they weren't giving me the proper the the proper inputs uh or the proper dynamics of that turn and how i broke myself you know, I set up for a 270 and I burned the setup. I was too low for a 270. So I tried to ad hoc, ad lib something. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to fucking stall surge and I'm going to get on my fronts and I'm going to bleed it to the right for a left hand 90. But if I bleed it 15 degrees to the right and I'm doing all these mental calculations, I'm doing an extra 30 degrees of turn altitude should work out. And I fucking cratered and skipped and broke my back in two places and got hauled off to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I went back and looked at the video. And it was more like a 45 degree turn to the right 
which increased my total turn degrees by 90 degrees. Plus I'm adding countering turns, right? I'm turning one way to turn a different way, which changes the dynamic of a turn. It's not by any stretch of the imagination ideal. And it ended me up in the hospital with literally lifelong issues that I have to deal with, especially as I get older in life. Mm-hmm. I didn't seek out canopy professional canopy coaching until I came back to the sport. Yeah. Uh, and I was throwing 270 degree turns well after that, you know, I came back, still thought that I knew what was best. And I went, yep. I remember the first canopy course that I did, I was working with Kurt Bartholomew, I was, des- I was out of Skydive Sky Midwest, and I desperately wanted to drag water. That was my goal for the whole camp. You know, I had a 270 degree turn that was consistent. And he looked at my turn and he goes, it's not terrible, but it's not right. <laughs> so here's all the things that we're going to change, you know, like yeah. you're doing this and video feedback. And all of a sudden I started to have a real conversation about what the dynamic and what the, the characteristics of that turn were and what the dive and what the cadence of the turn and what that last 90 degrees is supposed to be on a 270 or if anything greater, the last 180 degrees of that turn. Mm-hmm. I can't emphasize enough. There's so many people out here, especially young jumpers that are getting feedback from up jumpers and i'm not going to say it's wrong uh, i'm actually a big fan and this is probably an unpopular opinion it's all about the canopy pilot versus the number of jumps there's some people that definitely have uh, a natural ability for body flight we've all seen those natural flyers out there that just yep. pick it up super fast and it's like how's this person doing this you know mm-hmm. like they don't have the jump numbers to support that like how they and their body just gets it the same is very true with canopy flight yep those same people could benefit greatly from going and getting proper and correct canopy instruction. Even if it's your local swooper that can fucking send a whatever degree turn and huck their ass across the ground at 80 miles an hour or 70 miles an hour, their turns are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that they know how to coach. Doesn't yeah. mean that they're watching all of your turns. Doesn't mean that they're giving you the video feedback so you can see what you're doing. Yeah. So you can understand what you're doing. I and think, possibly, yeah. But it's I, worth it because hospital bills are fucking expensive. Yeah. If I can step in for just a really yes, just can. a really quick second. Um, so this is it's not canopy coaching, but this is like the point where I realized that not every single coach who calls themselves a coach, you know, is necessarily a good teacher. This is the moment where I figured that out, right? Um, I went to a fly for life camp. It's an angle camp, um, man, back in like 2012 or 2013 or something like that. Maybe it was a little later than that, but I met Ty Baird, right? Rest in peace, like God bless his soul, right? Um, I met Ty Baird and he completely changed like my, my complete, like, like my perspective on, on angles, right? He completely changed the way I thought about it. Um, and it was explicitly like his, the tool set or like the set of tools that he used to explain, um, what your body should be doing, you know, at any point, at any different point during your skydive. Like he talked about pushing through your joints and pushing through your, um, through your wrists and through your elbows and whatnot, like for, for different types of, um, different parts of the skydive. And it, And it just like clicked. I was like, oh my God, like why hasn't anybody ever explained it like this? Because it was like, now it makes sense. I understand what I'm supposed to be doing, right? And so to to further your point a little bit about how like not every person out there who knows their shit is necessarily the the greatest coach. Like there might be somebody out there who says exactly what you need to hear. Like you, they explain it in a way that just makes sense. So it's like, you gotta, you got, you gotta stop just going to one person all the time. You need to talk yeah. to a bunch of different people. Yeah. Um, 
and like not necessarily a bunch of different people, but you need to find a couple of different people on the drop zone, you know, because I can see how it also is like it also is bad to be talking to a whole bunch of different people and taking in all this information that sometimes maybe contradicts each other. But like you need to seek out. And that that brings me to another question that I was going to ask you guys is like, how do you go out of your way or like how do you seek out quality coaching? Like, who do you go for? Who do you go to? What kind of stuff is on your radar? Like, what are you looking for to seek out quality coaching on the drop zone? Because I feel like that's the hardest part for a lot of newer jumpers is they just don't have any understanding of like how to be taught or like who are the good coaches or they don't have any understanding of like not every super well-versed person is a great instructor or a great teacher. I, I hesitate to say coach or, or instructor. I'm talking teachers specifically. Like they just doesn't, don't necessarily know how to teach or communicate effectively, you know, um, how to translate these skills, like the skills that they have to somebody else. You know? what, I, what I've seen is a lot of the young jumpers continually go to the mm-hmm. people that give them the answers that they want. Yeah. Or the, you know, go ahead and send that to 70 versus yep, the people it. are like, you are not fucking ready yet until you have this dialed. And I am not trying yep. to hold you back. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to not let you progress. I'm trying to not pick you up off the fucking ground. Yeah. Like, okay. So Jeremy, how did you go out of your way or like, not, how did you go out of your <clears> way? <throat> how did you find good coaching? Like at what point, like you, you, you saddled up with Mike Silva like immediately, right? Like how did you go about seeking out that quality, that level, you know, of, uh, of coaching? Well, I mean, I feel like we just get lucky to have Mike, you know, at the drop zone, but Mm -hmm. to me, it's, you know, for new, for beginner flyers, um, you know, go talk to the most more advanced flyers and then go talk to your instructors about, you know, who can I talk to or what, you know, I want to get better at zip flying. I want to, I want to do this. I want to, you know, or nobody really wants to back fly in the sky, but you know, I, I want sit fly. It's, it's the biggest thing usually. And no one wants to recreationally knee fly. Either. Hey, no, hey, no, that's my jam. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess what I would say is I would, I I just got that. I'm sorry. I just, yeah. got that. I just, that joke just clicked. Sorry. Uh, Inside joke guys. Inside yeah. joke. So I would say, I would say for beginning flowers, flyers, I would, uh, I would talk to the more advanced flyers and just, just ask them, you know, in, in don't be afraid to ask them if they would jump with you at some point to give you some advice, but mm-hmm. ask them what's the best way to, uh, uh, progress, you know, um, I'm doing this, I'm just starting, um, you know, a lot of times when you're just starting those type of things, it's, you might have to do a couple more reps with you and your buddies before you can hold mm-hmm. a sit lie, but you're going to come up and talk yeah. to me and I'm going to tell you, okay, <clears throat> you, uh, oh, that's awesome. You do need some more reps before, before you can jump with me and I can give you any advice. Otherwise it's going to be a shit show. Um, you need to do some more reps, but you need to do this to be safe. You need to know exactly what jump run is before you get on the plane. You need to know, mm-hmm. um, you need to have enough jumps under your belt to see the ground and understand which way you're, which way you're pointing. So you know that you're not tracking your jump run and then understand yeah. that you are always going to be, once you're in a sit, <clears throat> when you first start, I don't know anybody that isn't backtracking. So uh, mm-hmm. You need to understand that. But yeah. 
that being said, um, as far as coaching, uh, you're going to ask the more experienced, the more experienced people, your instructors, and you're going to find this common, common ground, right? Everybody knows that your drop zones, yeah. it's just the bugs going around. It's like, you know, oh, Sam's great. Sam's a great coach. Mikey Silva's a great coach, you know, and when mm-hmm. more, when you're hearing more people talk about it than not, that's probably the truth. So, so it sounds to me like what you guys are saying in terms of seeking out, like for some, somebody new, like somebody who has done a couple hundred skydives is ready to take it to the next level, right? They're out on the drop zone. They're looking for, you know, like the next, the next thing, right? They're looking to, to level up. It sounds like what you guys are, t- are saying is that you guys should have, or these people should have a goal in mind, like whatever the goal is, right? Whether it's canopy, canopy uh, flight, whether it's piloting, whether it's uh you know, free flying, whether it's angle, right? It's to have a goal in mind of like what it is you want to do and where you want to go and then start asking questions to the people that they trust on the drop zone, right? Yes. That's kind of what I'm getting, right? People you trust and also people that you may not want to hear their opinion, like that you still trust, you know that they know what the fuck they're talking about, but you may mm-hmm. not like their opinion. You may not want to hear that, no, you shouldn't be doing a 270. Someone who's, someone's not necessarily who's going to like tell you something you don't want to hear, but somebody who's going to give it to you straight, not necessarily, straight. yeah. yeah. Perfect yep. way to put it. And, yep. Yeah. Someone who's going to give you a realistic. Yeah. Yep. Someone who's going to give you realis- realistic expectations of uh, of what you know where where you're at and what you guys should be what you should and be going. You for. should also you're take right. everything with a grain of salt. Everybody's got their everybody's got a different opinion. Oh yeah. I mean, I can't count how many times I've got different instructions on how to do things, but you're going to mm-hmm. find a um, a common denominator. Yeah. A million ways yeah. to skin a cat. You're right? gonna find that um you know Joel's telling you to do this and Dave's also telling you to do this and Sam's telling you to do this. You know what? I probably should do mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Great great example. We flew four way the other night. It was me, Sam, you, Jeremy, and Dave, right? And we got mm-hmm. out and we're debriefing. And Sam's like, Adam, I think you need to work on this. And Dave's like, I don't know if that's true, right? It's just a different mm-hmm. of difference yep. of opinion. Sam, you're right. I need to work on flying my three sixties on my head, keeping them exactly on a center point, right? And mm-hmm. not kind of orbiting around. Yep. Dave has a different perspective because of flying with me as much as he has. I'm like, well, I think that this is more of a priority for your improvement at that point. Yeah. Neither one is wrong. Mm-hmm. It, it's just where you want to focus your attention. Yep. And some of it may not be messaging that you want to hear. Two more things that we kind of want to talk about, right? First one is like, how do you guys select what types of skydives you choose to participate in, right? Um, We saw, I I would say that I have seen over the years, or at least I've experienced, right? Like at at a certain point in my skydiving career at the very beginning, right? It was like, just go and jump with your friends, right? Go have fun, go do cool things. Like if you learn stuff, that's awesome, right? And then at a certain point, I started looking more into coaching and like getting good and really (laughs) wanting to like learn more and like hone my own skills. And then now I'm at a point where I've put in like a lot of time and effort into this. I put in a lot of money into this sport, you know, like I want to go on jumps that work, You know, like I don't want to go and spend $30 on a skydive where it's just a zoo dive. Like definitely there's a time and a place for that. Right. And sometimes you just want to go off and fuck off and like have fun and and do a goofy jump, you know, even if it doesn't work. But for the most part, like I would rather go and do a bunch of small jumps that I know will work and everyone will get something out of it, you know, Um, 
I would much rather go into those types of skydives, right? So my, my, my question is, is how do you guys on the drop zone, um, select what types of skydives you guys participate in? Like what, what factors into that? Jeremy just does them all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a jump for. All right. But uh, so okay. here's my logic, Wait. right? I'm kind of known uh, to, I, yeah, I want to jump. I want to jump to productive two ways and three ways. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, and I want to do that. And I, and I do do that. I do a fair amount of that. Um, but I also want to jump with some people that can't quite keep up you know or you know yeah. that i don't want to say keep up but can't do the same things um but i can mm-hmm. introduce some of my things into their jumps and i can still make them smile they can make me smile mm-hmm. I, I still get enjoyment out of uh them doing the things that they love i just love yeah. that part of it um but yes at this point um the jumps become uh, less zoo dive-ish and more productive and yeah. rewarding. But, but it sounds it sounds like what you're saying is it's not like you only want to go do jumps where you're going to learn something, right? It's like you only want to go out with a bunch of shredders because you know it's going to work. It sounds like what you're saying is is more along the lines of like, I'm going to jump with one or two people who and set goals, you know, that I know are, are easy to accomplish for those people or are within the, like their wheelhouse so that they have a good, like awesome jump. They learn something. I get to have fun because I got to teach them something or, you know, like vice versa, you know, vice versa. It sounds more like you're, you're advocating for not necessarily like super rock star jumps, but just jumps that are achievable, right? Jumps that like everyone has fun on them, right? It's not just a bunch of people like zinging all over the sky, trying to hide, excuse me, high five each other, you know, like as many times, as many times as they can. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm that guy. I'm sorry. I'm that guy. (laughs) You're right. And you're right sometimes, but no, fuck. I just, I I literally just want to high five people in the sky all the fucking time. Okay. Never Um, mind. Maybe smack their ass a little bit. It's whatever. But no, <laughs> you're right. Um, 50, I was trying to level. I was trying to yes, lift you up, Jeremy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, I'm young in the sport yet. I, I. That was also, yeah, that was also something else I wanted to bring up is like, you're at a very different yeah, point in right. your progression and you, your yeah. career than Adam yeah. or I are, you know, like very I, different. I, for the, you know, yeah. fortunately for the tunnel, I'm able to do some of the things you guys can do so I can fly with you guys. Yeah. But yet, you know, 800 jumps is young. And, um, I don't know. I still just, I still fucking dig high five jumps. Uh, not all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it all the time. Um, but I'll tell you what, on those jumps, when I'm trying to get to everybody and high five, some of the most fun mm-hmm. jumps ever. I literally, there's yeah. on those jumps. A lot of times when I pitch, I have to take a breath because I'm, I, I didn't breathe the whole fucking jump. I was working so hard, trying to have so much fun. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't breathe the whole jump. And that's, I mean, I can't mm-hmm. count how many times that's happened on those jumps. You open your canopy and you're oh, yeah. just, I'm just like, you're like, like, I breathe it all? Like... What the hell? <laughs> it's just, so yep. I'm still at that point and I don't know if I'll I, ever get out of it. And I hope I don't really, because I, I feel like, um, I dig it. I fucking hope you do so I can jump with you more. <laughs> <laughs> I just dig it. I, I dig, I dig all of them. I, 
I want a good mix of all of them. I want a good mix of two ways. Yeah. I want a good mix of uh, some DFS stuff. I want those productive things. And I also want, mm-hmm. um, you know, not necessarily zoo dives. I, although sometimes I'd like to, you know, five, six way safe zoo dive, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, I do like the high five jump, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a- I'm going to jump in. I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum as Jeremy yeah. and Jeremy have had a lot yeah. of fucking conversations about this over the, over the last, particularly last yeah. summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I am done with fucking zoo dives. Uh, I spent my time as an instructor. I spent my time with students teaching them how to skydive. I have so, so little interest. I literally zero interest in chasing someone who's backsliding in a head up sit across the fucking sky because that's all you fucking do you know you end up taking the lowest the lowest skill flyer in there not ever in the skydive and you spend 45 seconds busting your ass to the point that jeremy makes where you're not sky you're not breathing just to get a foot dock or just to get a hand in front of them that they maybe can that they maybe can die grab and you're putting it there like just fucking take the dock you know mm-hmm. uh and I want to go out. I have some very real goals when it comes to VFS. Yeah. I want to. I want to do. A, I want to do an indoor VFS four-way VS, VFS team. I want to do an outdoor four-way VFS team. I mm-hmm. live that high on my priority list. I want to progress in that front, right? Yeah. So if I'm going out there and I'm chasing a brand new head-up skydiver that can barely hold a sit, mm-hmm. yes, there's skills that can be garnished from that. I've built a lot of those skills. Yes, I could work on forward motion more mm-hmm. uh, in my head up. Now that I'm head down, so much easier to flip to my head, zoom over to them, be right in front mm-hmm. of them, right? But I have no interest, especially with the increase in jump jump tickets over the last year, you know, to dump $30 into a dive that fucking blows up. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go do a hop, and, a hop and hook. Yeah. I'd just rather go do a hop and hook and not have it's... to deal with canopy traffic. Yeah, I mean, there's a time and a place for all these different sh- – types of skydives right like yeah, I'm, an ass- I'm a selfish asshole i'm <laughs> spent my money I mean, on other people i mean like like that that that's an attitude that has i mean that's a that's a take on it that's evolved over like the last year or something and that's and it's changed and that attitude has evolved a little bit with your goals changing right um so i think it has a lot to do with uh where people are at you know just like what are your goals or are you doing this just for fun do you want to compete do you want to you know, like, do you want to push your own personal goals? Because if you're if you're pushing your own personal goals, obviously you don't want to do any of like the white noise skydives. You know, you want to focus on jumps that are gonna improve your skills, right? Your skill set. So it's it's a very different um, attitude, right? And like everybody on this po- on this episode right now is at a completely different point in their skydiving careers. You know, like we got Jeremy who is still very very much. I mean, still still kind of like a uh, a newbie for for lack of a better word like you're still a very young maybe not newbie newbie i'm not the still right word. a fucking but newbie. like um but still very early on in your skydiving career you know like you're still at a point where you're you just want to have fun it's not necessarily about um getting every single skydive down and and uh doing exactly uh the same thing every jump and like making sure you are um nailing every single skydive you know like like you said it's very much about having fun and if people learn that's awesome and I do want to throw a a handful of other jumps in there like that that where I I learned something and I I work on my own personal skills it's kind of a mix right Um, exactly that's what I want yeah like it's a it's a healthy mix of everything right um it's a 70 you know yeah I I, I'd like more progress you know Mm -hmm. I'd like to have more productive jumps but yet 
I do want, mm-hmm. I don't ever want to get rid of the fun out of it, which is why yeah. I chose not to get there's, into throwing drones in and chose not to yeah. you know, do the other things. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, your, your take on it is constantly evolving. You know, it's constantly changing. It depends on what your goals are. It depends on whether or not you've accomplished your goals. It depends on where you want to go next, right? Like, your, your take on how you are participating on certain skydives and who you jump with definitely definitely changes year to year, you know? I want to say one thing, Sam. Like, I, I have 3,000 skydives, just shy of 3,000 yeah. skydives. So I quit counting when I did tandems. I'll be super honest. And when I quit the sport, I didn't keep my altimeter that had my logbook on it. So I have somewhere between 2,800 and 3,000 skydives. Mm-hmm. No idea where. I'm going to call out next summer that this is my 3,000 skydive, and we're all just going to accept it for what the fuck it is, and we're going to go shred. Uh, but it may not be my true 3,000. There's no way it's my true 3,000. 3, but that being said, I have more tandem drogue fall jumps than I have fun jumps yeah. to this day, right? Or or AFF jumps in tandem. I'm here with you, man. Then I have fun jumps. So I want to call out that while I have 3,000 skydives or something close to that, in my world as a fun jumper, I am still exceptionally new. Jeremy has mm-hmm. 800 free fl- or fun jumps. Mm-hmm. He, he's not far behind behind me mm-hmm. i admire his want to go have fun with the new jumpers and just have it be light yeah. right i'm addicted to progression and i have some very distinct goals that mm-hmm. i think are different than jeremy and i think that's where a lot of this difference comes in right like yeah. i i want to go shred i mm-hmm. want successful skydives i want to fly head down and have multiple points you asked about favorite skydive the la- one of the last skydives second to last skydive of the year or third to last skydive of the year i went out with huber mm-hmm. and we fucking launched a head down and we flew that thing top to bottom and we fucking made so many points head down and we would drift apart and fly it right back together and i was geeked as hell because it was the most successful two-way head down jump i had had all summer mm-hmm. right and it was with someone that doesn't have a ton of tunnel time on their head yeah um, i mean Go ahead. Finish. I, I want that. I, that's where I get excited. I don't yeah. get excited by going and I'm not going to use names, going and chasing a brand new head up jumper across the sky, because at the end of that, I'm like, that fucking sucked. You know, yeah. like it, that wasn't fun for me. Yep. It's I mean, we're cut from a different cloth, though. You know, like we we started our skydiving careers and our our immediate goal was get your ratings yep. like get your ratings, like be a teacher, make money in the sport, you know, like this is how it's achievable. This is how we like, we're, we're just cut from a different cloth. Like we, we had very different goals and we spent a majority of our early years, the same years that Jeremy is currently experiencing. Like we spent a majority of those years teaching people and like teaching sky, like teaching people how to skydive. Right. Um, we didn't get really good at what we were doing or good at flying. Like in the, in the way that we are now, we didn't, we didn't have those skills until a lot later on, you know? So, so from our perspective is we've done that. We've, we've spent hundreds of skydives, you know, watching everybody have a ton of fun and like get really good. And, Uh, we did, we did a whole bunch of zoo dives. We did a whole bunch of, um, you know, like fuck off jumps, you know, like where we just spent the money and had a, had a good time. Like now we're at a very different point in our skydiving career. So it's just, it's just very different goals. Like, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if it, if that shifts for Jeremy, you know, like if it shifts for you, man, like I wouldn't be surprised if in like the next three or four years, you know, like your attitude about what it is you want shifts as you get better. And as you spend more time in the sport and you see more things happen, when be surprised at all if that shifts you know and it's not to say that like 
Adam, Adam or my attitudes will shift later on. Like one of the, one of the coolest dudes on the drop zone for like uh, the 15 years that I've known him is Joel Davies. Like Joel will jump with anybody. It, it doesn't fucking matter who it is. Like throughout my, throughout my skydiving career, uh, he pulled me onto more jumps, like not knowing a fucking thing about what it is we were doing. Um, he pulled me onto more skydives just to be like, let's go have fun. Like, let's just go, let's go do a two way. Like, I know you don't know how to fly in your head very well, but I'm going to go fly with you. Right. And this is a dude who's been through all those different, like rises and fall, like, <laughs> Right, like like peaks and valleys of that skydiving career where he got really good and he was one of like the cool kids on the drop zone and he was one of the fucking free flyers who knew everything like you know what I mean and he very much just pulled like pulled people on yeah. his, like yeah fuck yeah let's go do a two-way let's go do a four-way Let, let's go fucking do a zoo dive let's go angle let's go you know like he's fucking great very very cool attitude and like he went through all those different um those different phases of being uh, like in his skydiving career and he's still that guy like who just is like yeah let's go fucking have fun he will like, literally let's go do it seek me right? out to jump yeah, yeah. it's that's yeah. in, in dave dave's the same way uh you know there's, there's yeah yeah dave delanave there, there's people like that there that uh put put their time in just um in in, in for whatever reason i mean dave likes to get back yeah. and, and joel does too i don't know yeah it's not it's not selfish to to want to only spend your money and your and your jumps on specific goals. It's not selfish at all. Um, but it's it's also not a bad thing to to, you know, spend a little bit of time and spend spend, you know, your day at the drop zone just having fun with people either. Like it all ebbs and flows and changes as you go. Yeah. You know, I, I want to go back just a little bit to what you talked about being an instructor and going on zoo dives like one of the things that like at the end of my instructing career started to accept like really bum me out is I would take all these people on cat A, B, C, D, E, you know, whatever. And I, they, in their world, in their eyes, I was like this fucking God, you know, like you right. taught me how to skydive. You were this amazing instructor for me. You made it so fun for me. You were so positive. You were such a light in the skydiving, uh, my skydiving world. And they would get to solo status or they would get to a newly licensed skydiver. And they would be like, Adam, you want to go on a fucking skydive with me? And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> I'm not spending my money on that skydive. And it made me feel like shit, you know? So like Mm -hmm. there is an ebb and a flow where like, especially I think as you've worked in the sport and you've had so many people seek you out where you're like, for, for years I would go on those skydives. Yeah, of course I'll go on a skydive with you. Of course I'll spend $25 of the, of the, the tandem that I just got paid $35 after I had to pay a packer for. So I'm making $10 on that jump and I need it to feed me and my kids. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna spend it because that's I'm I'm over that. Yeah. You know, I'm over I'm over that part. It makes me feel I'm not gonna lie. It makes I I I said this earlier, I admired Jeremy a lot for the way that he's inclusive on the drop zone. He will take anyone on a skydive. I don't have the same perspective. And yeah. I agree with what you said. I think in a couple of years there's a there's a good chance that Jeremy's perspective might shift a little bit. I hope or yours doesn't. might, you know. Mine like, might too. It of depends. Course. Yeah. I hope I hope Jeremy's doesn't because it's beautiful, right? It's a beautiful thing. He is a light at the drop zone. He is one of the people. Leo asked me this year if I'd go on a skydive <laughs> with him, right? Jeremy just and threw I'm his like, hands up to his chest like, oh, thanks and so I'm much. Like, <laughs> and I was like, sorry, Leo, I'm not doing it. And then I see him talking to Jeremy and Jeremy's like, yeah, I'll fucking go with you. What do you want to do? We're going to do this. And he's all excited about it. I'm like, 
We need more Jeremy's on the drop zone, but it certainly isn't me right now. <laughs> but fuck, me. <laughs> fuck you. It's not going to be me, right? Um, <laughs> fuck this, right? All right. Um, this first game that I want to kind of introduce is called the Woofo Corner, and maybe that that's a working title. Maybe it'll change, you know, as I get more and more clever, start thinking about it more. Um, but the Woofo Corner. So basically what I want you to do is ask a – or uh, li- basically um, answer a couple of questions that have been submitted to me by woofos that i know <laughs> um is one of th- them is it time to put the goggles on yet no <laughs> no um you're i would <laughs> so gonna, i hear that it's, so i'm often. gonna make a sticker I, out of I, that I'm and sure like where are my more. goggles like where are my goggles where are my goggles i'm gonna put it right there like, oh, i put them on now how about yeah. now like now, now now yes absolutely now you should do it now we're not even on the plane yet <laughs> um <laughs> so so I'm going to ask you guys a couple of questions. I'm going to read them off, and I want you guys to take turns answering these questions. Um, if you guys want to throw in a little bit uh, on each other's answers, that's totally fine. Um, but we're just going to alternate back and forth. I've got like a five or six questions here, and you guys just go to town. Yeah, like whoever wants to wants to go first. You guys, you guys decide amongst yourselves while I'm pulling them up. <laughs> oh, we both did it. Okay, once again. <laughs> okay, I'm going to count it down, okay? Jeremy La- goes first. <laughs> okay, Jeremy goes first. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> First question. First question. When I went skydiving, I walked through the floor where people were packing parachutes. Why are there so many rubber bands on the floor? What are they for? <laughs> no, this is a real this is a real question. Somebody actually asked me that question. So they're literally <laughs> for rubber bands. We're shooting them in the cup. That's what we do. With you them. gotta shoot them in the cup. That's all we yeah, do. Yeah, we gotta shoot them in the cup. I don't know if you have a cup at your drop zone, but we nailed a cup to the wall and we just shoot rubber bands at it whenever we're bored. Um, so for real though, like yeah. why are there rubber bands? So those rubber bands are, uh, believe it or not, it seems like a low tech deal and it's really low tech. When I first started, I was like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Why are we using these rubber bands to stow this piece of fabric that's going to, or these lines that are, that's holding a piece of fabric that's going to save our lives. But that's what it does. So, um, we have a we, we specifically pack the parachute all nice and neat uh, so it opens properly uh, and we put that into a bag and then we close that bag with rubber bands uh, creating loops um, creating nice neat stows of those lines so they open up perfectly all right. without killing us. So that's what those rubber bands are for, and they're they're expendable. So we we you'll see broken ones on the floor um, because they they break when the the lines pull out or they just wear. All right. Why don't we um throw them away during the day? Why do they just litter all over the floor? Oh, because <laughs> the Packers are lazy. Well, they are. They're lazy. Oh no, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Packers are busy. They're just on the floor. And, and, you know, it, it, nobody cares. We we literally will throw like a bunch on the floor, a bunch of good rubber bands on the floor so they're available yeah. for all of us uh, fun jumpers and every, everybody else that's packing. So we have them at our reach. Okay. Can I tell you a really fun story about those rubber bands? It'll take like 30 seconds. So um, yeah. way back in the day, I saw a couple of people like take the broken rubber bands and shove it on the inside of the the pack job, you know, and I'm like, wait a second, like, isn't that littering? They're like, no, it's biodegradable. Like, these are biodegradable. It's fine. And I'm, I, and I believe that for so fucking long, (laughs) like an embarrassing amount of time. Mm -hmm. I believe that before it suddenly clicked one day, like, wait, no, this is rubber. (laughs) Like, this is not. 
Ru- ru- no, they're, they're rubber yeah, right, bands yeah. made out of corn. Terrible. Good job, Sam. Oh, I was just like so I, fucking Honestly, gullible. I would have believed it too. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't pay that much attention to you know what what the shit's made out of. Adam, next one. Okay, so this one's for you. Uh, I watched Power Rangers growing up, and one of those movies starts with a skydiving montage where someone wears what looks like a snowboard as he skydived. Is skyboarding real, and is it actually cool? (laughs) Sky surfing is super real. It's, uh, I mean, you've seen the Mountain Dew commercials. Uh, There's still, I think, a handful of people in the world that do it. I think they mostly do it for video and commercial or uh, different you know, movie type productions. Cause like, I can't see the fun in it. It sounds like a death <laughs> trap to me. Is it cool? No, it's fucking stupid. <laughs> I, I'm being honest. I can't, I can't think of anything less cool than sky surfing with maybe the yeah. exception of wings. There's a reason it doesn't happen anymore. Uh, There's a reason. <laughs> I'm going to, Oh no, I missed that. Yeah. We love you wingsuiters. Uh, we love you. <laughs> I do. I'm, I'm making a, a poor joke. <laughs> Sky surfing is way lamer than wingsuiting. Uh, I just have zero desire to do either of them. Uh, now, in, in honesty, like if that's what gets you off in the sport and that's what you want to do with your time in the sky, you want to learn how to sky surf, fucking send it and be your own person and go do it. Like That's super dope. Uh, I will never judge someone for that. It's something I don't have interest in. I think it's a very, very small population that does it. No, I don't think. I know it's a very, very small population that does it. Uh, but why is that? Have, I mean, is it? I, yeah. I was kind of wondering about the same. I was wondering about it myself. Is it? Can I? Just can I not t- very hard? Oh, or I think is it's it not very oh, yeah. exceptionally can I, can I challenging? Step in really quick? I can and answer that question. So. Of course. Sky surfing, yeah. I don't, I've never done it, right? I've only really listened to people who have done it in the past. There's, there were a handful of people that have done it uh, way back in the, way back in the day at uh, Baldwin. And uh, there's a couple of people that I've met like traveling to as well that also do it. It is exceptionally difficult. Like it is super hard. Um, that yeah. board is attached to your feet with a cutaway cable, right? So it is, it is very much uh, yep. secured to your feet. Um, if you can't outfly it, it can very easily put you into an uncontrollable spin, a helicopter, a helicopter spin where it's super hard to get out of. You can black out, you know, like it's, it's super sketch. It's very, very difficult. Um, it was super cool when it started. You know, like when they first started doing it, it was like the coolest fucking thing ever. Um, But Adam is right. Like there's a very small percentage of skydivers that still do it. Um, Sean McCormick of the Red Bull team is one that immediately comes to mind. Like he's he's done quite a lot of it from my understanding. Um, And uh, it's just like one of those things that's real sketch and it's just kind of faded out. I don't really know why it's faded out. Um my guess though is my guess though is it's because of the like the level of difficulty I, and the um the unpredictability that, of it. I think that and we're more to risk that and it's a hundred percent a solo sport with the exception of a camera flyer, right? Like you're going out and doing solo after solo after solo. So yeah. Jeremy, do you like going out and doing solo head down flights or skydives? No, I don't. I don't like. Right. So, so if, if if you were doing something, especially once you garnished yeah. control of it, like head down or sky surfing, and you were going out and doing it by yourself, jump after jump, I think the the shimmer of 
fades real quick. Yeah. I think um, it's come back a little bit uh, in like angle flying. I've seen some angles yeah. bring it, bring it back. I've seen some sky surfers go out with a couple of angle groups and that's pretty that's, cool. That's um, actually really fucking cool. Right. And actually a, a callback really quick. So where it shows up, just like she talks about this person talks about the power Rangers movie. And I know exactly which, uh, which uh, like little bit she's talking. Oh, Adam's going to the bathroom again. Back, blacked his video up. <laughs> I got a pee. No, no, we're good. Mute yourself. Um, so where she's talking about like the Power Rangers, I know exactly what she scene she's talking about because it starts with the whole team of Power Rangers um, out on skydives. It was like one of the first things that I saw in terms of skydiving in like movies as a kid. Um, it's a super cool, super cool. Uh, um, 90s movie if you ever want to if you ever want to walk go back and watch it it's online you can youtube it or something uh but one of the other practical versions of sky surfing used in film was uh in the fantastic four the original the original fantastic four movies with um jessica elba and uh chris evans and um basically i think it's in the second one the rise of the silver surfer Hey, did um, you take that Chris Evans guy on a I skydive? did take that Chris Evans on a sky. Every time we bring him up on this podcast, I'm going to be like, I was behind Chris Evans. It should be drinking game. <laughs> Slam your beer if you mention Chris Evans. <laughs> Every time Sam mentions Chris Evans. We can make that a thing. We'll, we'll push. Yeah. Be wrong. Actually, you you right. only mentioned him once. Well, technically. Chris Evans, slam a beer. Yeah. I'll bring but... it up again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, the other practical uh, the practical use of sky surfing was in the rise of the silver surfer, the second fantastic four movie. So if you've ever seen that, uh. I can't remember who did the stunts for it. I can't, I'd have to look it up. Uh, actually, you know what? Maybe I'll look it up really quick. Give me one second. Was it like, was it, and I don't watch a lot of those movies, but was it like William Defoe that played the no. silver surfer or am um, I thinking of a different one? Huh, that's not him. Anyway, I'd have to look it up later. Um, I don't know who it is off the top of my head, but I know that there was a skydiver who actually shot footage for that film. Um, maybe I'm blowing smoke out of my ass. Like maybe that's not true, but I, I distinctly recall like there was somebody who did, who did shooting for that film as a sky surfer for the silver surfer, for the silver surfer role. Um, who did the voice of it? Um, Doug Jones did the acting. I think Lawrence Fishburne did the voice. That's who that is. It's Morpheus. Yep, from the Matrix. Um, anyway, so yeah, like there's there's a lot of I think I think it's more of a spectacle these days. You know, I think so. I think um, uh, sky surfing is more of a spectacle kind of thing of the sport, not necessarily something that's like an active. I mean, obviously we know because we're skydivers. You know, that's, it's not that's a good way to put it. It's a spectacle of yeah. the sport. I think it's one of those things that looks really cool on film. Yeah, um, that's kind of the point I made, right? I think the only people that still do it are doing it in order to stay proficient with it for either commercials yeah. or movie opportunities. I don't think it's for the recreation or for the progression of the sport at the sport at this point. Um, Sean McCormick did do something really cool when I was out there in Paris. I remember seeing the photo. I remember the day he did it. Actually, they were doing a bunch of like construction work on some of the ditches. They were replacing a lot of the piping. 
um in the ditch like buried underneath did the he, ditch did he shred that shit he shredded it on the sky oh, it was so cool. cool um i don't know what the move is specifically like in skateboarding um what that move is but he did a really cool uh shot where he he told i forget who the cameraman was too but he told the guy to go wait in the ditch and he's like i'm gonna do a hop and pop i'm gonna come and land and hit this like be yep. be there and be ready coolest shot ever he's like skating along the uh the piping and like the big big tube piping uh on his on his sky surfing board is pretty cool that that's more akin to speed flying than it is to sky surfing right because you're under canopy at that point so it's a canopy skill where you have a board on your feet versus flying a board in free fall speeds did you say speed speed flying yeah speed riding speed well speed riding yeah speed riding or the same thing where you're flying your canopy in proximity to the ground, uh, whether it's with skis or a snowboard on, Mm -hmm. uh, versus, uh, being at free fall speeds without a parachute above your head. Yeah. That was a super long explanation, but that's what sky surfing is. (laughs) All right, moving on. Um, Oh wait, is it actually cool? Is sky surfing cool? To each their own. (laughs) I don't know. Really I think it's lame but to each their own, you know? I mean, like, there's a time and a place for everything, right? For sure. If it, now, if I was a super adequate sky surfer and I was getting Mountain Dew commercials or the opportunity to be in Fantastic Four, fucking epic. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, you know. I, and I do think to the point that you made, like what they're doing with angles, I think that's pretty fucking dope. Like yeah. that's that's pretty unique and dope. Uh, it's kind of the similar vein as XRW, mm-hmm. you know, where you're doing canopies and wingsuits together. That's fucking cool. I have no desire to do wingsuits, but I have all the desire to fly my canopy with a wingsuiter. That's dope. <laughs> I like that. All right. Uh, so, Adam, this one's perfect for you. Uh, skydivers okay. talk about ratings. What are they? Who gets them? Who gives them out? Licenses or ratings, right? Ratings, not licenses. Ratings. ratings. So. I mean, there's three primary ratings. Uh, there's a bunch past that. So your coach ratings where you start. Uh, then you can get your, from there, you can get an AFFI or a coach rating. So AFFI, Accelerated Free Fall Instructor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Static Line Instructors. There's Assisted Deployment Instructors as well that are all on this similar vein of teaching people how to skydive on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's tan- a tandem rating. Uh, with a tandem rating, you should i don't think you legally need to uh have ratings from both uspa and uh the manufacturer so mm-hmm. there's two primary manufacturers there's uh upt or sigma mm-hmm. and then there is uh, strong mm-hmm. i wouldn't personally ever choose to do a strong but to each their own uh <laughs> we're gonna piss uh, off so a lot of people the, with that statement for the there's i'm gonna get some hate for that oh, for yeah. sure it was him um, he said it not me Yep, I said it. Uh, it's just my personal choice. It's a great system. It's not a dangerous system. It's not an in- inadequate system. It's just definitely not the industry-leading system as well, if right. we're honest about it. But USPA is your coach rating, your tandem rating, your assisted deployment, your static line, your AFFI, all of those. Uh, then the individual manufacturers for the tandems also issue their ratings, uh, certifying you're proficient in their unique system, whether it's uh, UPT, Sigma, Vector, it's all the same. It's all synonymous or strong. Um, that's who issues them. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I missing any, Sam? I think I covered the, all of them. Um, pro rating? 
Oh, pro rating yeah. uh, is what you need in order to do demos. So getting paid to jump into a stadium is an example or jump into a, a music festival or any of those things. So mm -hmm. you have to demonstrate proficiency on a specific wing that you can land within a specific defined accuracy. So I think it's, what is it, like three meters uh, like of that. target? Crutch, crutch window for sure. Yeah, and I not prorated, but you have to show you can land X amount of times in a row within a defined parameter of an accuracy. And then there's your uh, instructor evaluator ratings as well that come after that. So if you want to turn someone into an AFFI or you want to turn someone in to a tandem instructor, you have to have those additional ratings in order to be the either the examiner or the evaluator. So the examiner is higher than the evaluator. The evaluator can help with this uh, garnishing rating. So a coach evaluator is someone that can go out on a coach jump uh, and do the jumps and evaluate that person and then provide the results to the examiner and the examiner will ultimately sign off on those ratings, whether it's a coach or a tandem or an AFFI. Mm-hmm. Did I misrepresent any of that? No. Um, it's a very um, long-winded explanation about it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I tend to like <laughs> My voice sounds so good in my own head. Right. Um, <laughs> no, so what it sounds like is ratings, right? What are they? Um, once you get to a certain point in your skydiving career, you can make the decision about whether or not you want to teach uh, people to skydive, sky right? A majority of the ratings that we're talking about, it's about teaching, like being able to, like being signed off to teach other people to skydive in whatever format that, that comes in. If it's static line, if it's uh, IAD, if it's AFF, if it's tandem skydiving, whatever, right? Pro rating is a, a whole other thing all on its own. If you wanted to teach skydivers how to be instructors, that's an examiner and an evaluator rating. So that's a totally different ball game. Um, in terms of who gets them, right? Like who gets these ratings? You have to be qualified in a certain way um, at a certain level for into individual ratings, right? So each rating has its different requirements. Um, those are things that you could look up in an IRM or in instructor ratings manual. In a, yes, an instructor ratings manual. Um, I'm not sure if they're available in the sim. Are they? Uh, you need both. You need to okay. have both the SIM and the IRM. I'm not sure if the requirements the are listed in the SIM. But, yeah, I don't know um, about the requirements. But uh, you're going to need a certain number of qualifications in order to get those ratings. Um, who gives them out? USPA or the manufacturer. Okay, or the manufacturer. Or if you're in a different uh, country, it'll be whatever governing body uh, yeah. is your, is govern, governs your, your particular country in terms of parachute you know, operations. I would just like to point out that you're long, more long-winded than I am. Am I? <laughs> you're both laughing. Oh, you can't hear me laughing. I'm on mute. <laughs> All right. Let me laugh again. That's I'm fair. No, that's fair. I'm going to go back and time this and send you a message and be like, ha ha, motherfucker, <laughs> I had you by 15 seconds. All right. <laughs> anyway. All right. On to our last question, our last Wolfo Corner question. It's for Jeremy. Okay. What is a boogie? <laughs> a boogie. Also, I hate that word. I don't know why they call it a boogie. Yeah. It's a, it, it is a skydiving party. It is a skydiving extravaganza. It is uh, uh, usually a weekend or a week, and, and depending upon what how big the drop zone is and 
how bad they want to party. Mm-hmm. It could be two weeks. Um, I think like New Year's boogie in Arizona's. Isn't Summerfest almost two weeks too? Anyhow. Well, it, the Arizona has yeah, both probably. the Christmas and the New Year's that kind of blend into ah, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a big, it's a big party, which means, uh, so the drop zone will bring in, usually bring in extra planes. If it's Arizona, they already have the extra planes, but if it's got into Twin cities, they'll bring in extra planes and people from all over the country and sometimes all over the world will come to the drop zone, stay and jump all day and drink most of the night. And then and do it all over. Not again. just extra aircraft. A lot of times it's specialty aircraft. So if you want to jump a, yeah. a C-130 or a DC-10, uh, that's going to be your highest chance. Or maybe you want to jump a Casa or yeah. a Skyvan, right? Like yeah. those types of aircrafts aren't readily available at most drop zones. But mm-hmm. at a boogie, they oftentimes will be. Yeah. The biplane. Biplane Yeah, super fun. Speaking yep. of boogies, oh, my God. Couch. Whew. I've heard. I've never. I never went. And that oh, I did. It's, it was before uh, they might have like done like the last year when I first started skydiving or maybe the last couple of years. But it was couch, still going on when you started for okay. sure, Sam. Uh, couch was um, in Fort Dodge, right? In Iowa. Fort Dodge, Iowa. Put on by Des Moines Skydiving Club. Can't remember. I can't believe I remember that. Um, so Couch was a was a, a, a boogie. Jeremy, like, I don't know. I'm not sure if you remember that or if you uh, if you know anything about this. No, I've heard of it. I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. So I'm looking forward to your explanation. Yeah, they used to burn couches. That was like the whole. That was the at whole the premise end. of the like at the very end of the boogie. They would they would uh, burn couches, but it yeah. got notorious for being real oh. fucking sketch. Like real fucking sketch. There like, was there was kegs in the landing area. Yeah. There was there was people drinking beer and setting it down. Back, mm-hmm. And this is back in the day, setting it down as they're loading the plane. There was. No shit. There I was, thought I was going to die. There was <laughs> nitrous tanks in the landing area from what I've heard in years past, right? So you'd get off the plane and go hit a fucking nitrous balloon. Like, uh. what in the fuck world that were people living in that that was acceptable? There's stories. There's, there's stories. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> there's stories of people climbing the water tower that was on the drop zone with a Sabre 1 and attempting to base jump off of the fucking water tower with a Sabre 1. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's pretty nuts. That yeah. it's is nuts. fucking crazy. Yeah. Skydiving used to be a whole nother fucking ball game, whole nother level of craziness and ridiculousness, like the, the likes of which some of us have never fucking seen before. <laughs> like, I've never seen it in person. I, I do know that the beer was free at couch. I've been I've been to couch oh, two or three times. There was a milk truck uh, that was in the party area that had multiple kegs in it with keg taps on the outside so it was a it was a beer truck uh-huh. and they would take the empty beer kegs and they would set them up in a pyramid and motherfuckers would try to climb that goddamn pyramid i thought and you said a... people were gonna fly through it i was like oh my no, god no, no that's <laughs> we're crazy but we ain't that crazy but people would see how far they could climb up the top of this keg pyramid and we're talking it's it's not just five kegs high yeah. Right. It's like 10, 12 plus rows high. Mm. And that thing would fucking collapse into a pile of kegs with bodies coming crashing down in it. You can understand why this yeah. boogie no longer exists. Yeah. I mean, that's just. What was it? Is it? What was it called? Couch was it? Because I hear couch, people couch say freaks. This. Yeah. Couch what? Couch yeah. freaks. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. 
No, that's fair. If, like I would have not remembered to like full up, like like say that full name out there, Couch Freaks. Um, yeah, it was nuts. That was just the stuff that was happening on the ground too. Like there was like more. Like from what I understand, there was insanity happening in the sky too as well. Like oh, it, there's a video that was that I saw at a year that I was there. Uh, God, I'm not gonna say her name, but we'll go with TK. That leaves it vague enough. Vague enough. Under an open canopy. Uh, on video, someone comes burning directly in front of this individual in free fall and opens a, at least a thousand feet below them, but comes burning through in free fall within 20 yards maximum, mm -hmm. maximum, like the chaos, they had multiple planes, right? Cause they brought in all these aircraft from Arizona uh in other areas so they had multiple planes flying and people doing young jumper bullshit like tracking up and down jump run i can't believe more people didn't get fucked up it's um not all boogies are like that though coming back around like not all boogies are like that lots of them are pretty awesome super safe like lots of ground super crew safe. like depends yep. on the drop zone you know that was a whole different era too as well with couch freaks so it, boogies are a era. lot of fun if you want to party and you want to meet new people fantastic place to go like fantastic. i think there's some really remarkable and safe boogies out there i'm gonna i'll highlight a few right like Summerfest. Uh, I think is a dope boogie that everyone should go have a great time at. Invasion was pretty awesome when I went. Back Invasion in is another one, yeah. right? Uh, super, super dope boogie. A lot of fun. I think the Arizona boogies, Skydive Arizona does a great job with ground crew and making sure that things are happening the way that they should be. So their New Year's or their Christmas boogie, I would have no problem sending someone down there. I, I think in mass, uh, in it, for, in mass, I think all of the current modern day boogies have really gotten to a place that it's a safe place to have a great time, uh, letting yourself go a little bit and having a little bit of party time, but also having some remarkable skydives. I think that the crazy boogies of yesteryear, for all intents and purposes, are a thing of yesteryear. Yeah, no, that's fair. All right. Okay, that sums it up for Wolfo Corner on this particular episode. Um you guys have anything you want to add at all or no i just love you fuckers oh thank you so much thank <laughs> you so much all right so that pretty much wraps it up with uh adam and jeremy thank you guys so much for being on with me for my very very first episode it was a blast it went super long thank you, sir. like way longer than i thought i'm gonna cut sorry some of this voice. out because it was I'm like sorry my voice sounds so amazing in my own head yeah <laughs> uh this went super long probably gonna cut some of this out like it's super it's super nuts like um thank you for helping me with this weird experiment that i've decided to endeavor upon um I just want to like put a disclaimer out there too as well for this episode and every episode moving forward. Um, what we're saying in this, in these podcasts, in these episodes, like this is very much our opinion, right? Like yes. it is based, it is based on our experiences, our, you know, um, time in the sport, things that we've seen, but by no means should you take this as gospel. By no means should you take anything that we're saying here as like truth or as 100% like, um, what you should be doing or following. Um, it's very much just us shooting the shit, having a good time, talking about days of old and talking about uh, our experiences and learning from them. Okay. Um, do you guys have anything to add or anything to say to anybody listening before we cut out here? 
Feel free to berate me in the comments section. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my my yeah, headphones are dying, but I would just say um, enjoy the sport. It's it's the best sport out there. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. It's pretty dope. Fan yeah. No, you're right. Like it's this it's this thing we call life. It's fantastic. And All it right. will turn into it'll turn into your family. <laughs> it will turn into your family. Okay. Say goodnight, guys. Say goodbye. Peace out. Peace out. See you bye.